That's how long it takes me to reboot. So nine minutes. Yep. Although I think there might still be some spinners on some Chrome tabs and and some Finder windows. Finder windows are usually the last things to get spinners off of them. Is are you talking? Are you referring to like those like wake from sleep spinners, like what since uh, Mavericks or since Lion, whatever? No, the spinners that are in the upper right corner of a Finder window when it's trying to just display the contents, not the uh, here is a fake screenshot of a window and I'm going to put a giant spinner or not those. I've never even seen the ones you're talking about. I don't think. I know because you have SSDs. I don't see them at work either. <laughs> you get spinning disks and about four million files on them, literally, and you get see all sorts of spinners you get to see chrome tabs die with the frowny face because they just assume the, the world is broken they give up you get to see dock icons <laughs> stop bouncing in the dock <laughs> have you seen that lately no so it's something most people don't even know about like it's so it's so bogged down that they can't bounce no there's a, so there's a certain i don't know if it's a number of bounces or a number of time but at a certain point the os gives up animating the bounce it's just like <laughs> it'll you know it doesn't mean the app is hung it, the app may eventually launch but it's just like look this is just taking too long and it just gives up bouncing <laughs> There's still no light under it. It's still in the process of launching. Eventually, the little indicator light will appear under it. But it is, I see it all the time. That's amazing. Part of the reason I haven't upgraded my machine is because it's so f***ing unusable because it has platter <laughs> drives. And I just don't want to deal with it. I've almost bought an SSD so many times. So many. Well, actually, if you, if you want a good deal on a new Mac Pro. Oh, God. Save it for the show. I told you. $5. Oh, God. That's a good deal. Someday I will take that offer. No, I won't want it then. If, <laughs> if you're willing to wait long enough. You're right. On an infinite time scale. Oh, Jesus. Here we go. That's not how that works. <laughs> I X'd out all the items in follow-up except for one, because we do have a lot of follow-up, and I'm trying to trim it for, the, for today's show. Good, good. The one thing I wanted to follow up on was on last week's show, which was so long ago now because we delayed the show for the Apple event, I was excited about the fact that the GameCube controller adapter for the Wii U was going to let me use my GameCube controller for any game on the Wii U that also supported the Wii U Pro controller. And when I saw that on some random website, I didn't believe it. And I said, I need confirmation of this. And the the website linked back to Nintendo's official website that's owned by the company. And right there on plain text on Nintendo's own website, it said that, yes, you can use your GameCube controller with this adapter for any Wii U game that supports the Wii U Pro controller. And I was very excited and we we recorded last week's podcast. And then right after the podcast was over, or maybe it was like the next day, but shortly thereafter, uh, Nintendo itself and all the articles that had cited Nintendo itself issued a correction that, oh, no, just kidding. Actually, you can only use it for Smash Brothers. Sorry about that. So I was sad. Well, it makes me sad that you were sad. I mean, like, that's just the worst ever. You know, it's it's kind of like these rumors where you don't trust it until you see it. It's like seeing something on Apple.com saying, you know, you know, you can use the uh, the new iMac as a Retina display for your Mac Pro, and you have like a day of that where you're super excited, and then the next day Apple says, "Oh, actually, no, you can't. Sorry, that was a mistake on our website." Nice. All right, do we want to talk about the event first, or do we want to talk about your review first? Come on, you missed the chance to say. So, how's the review? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You guys can pick what. But we have enough time for both of them because we've only done that one item of follow up. So you can pick which one you want to talk about first. This week, we're sponsored once again by our friends at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter offer code ATP at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Squarespace is simple and easy. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and customize as much as you see fit or as little as you see fit. They have 24-7 support through live chat and email located in New York City and Dublin. 
All this you get for just $8 a month, and this includes a free domain name if you sign up for a whole year. Otherwise, you can just go month to month, and it's fine. All Squarespace's designs are fully responsive, so they look good on any device size, no matter what. You don't have to do anything extra. Now, they, oh, they also have this cool thing called commerce. They can, you, can, you can have a store. You can sell whatever you want. Now, the really cool stuff, they just announced Squarespace 7. They had a whole bunch of new stuff with Squarespace 7. It's really quite impressive. I, I even went to the event, talked to them afterwards. Um, they have gotten so much stuff into this release it's amazing what they basically do you can try this they're they're rolling it out slowly to, to all their customers you can, and then you can opt in um and there's no migration or data change it's literally it's literally just a ui change um but they've they've done some amazing things with the ui where you're actually like there there's no more separation of like the dashboard back end and the front end with your content you actually edit your content live right there in your template on your site it's really amazing what they've managed to pull off here you can preview everything the window's responsive you can like shrink the window down and you'll see how your site will look on smaller screens and they they'll simulate an iphone view they'll simulate an ipad view it's really extremely impressive what they've managed to do in Squarespace 7. They've also added the ability to have cover pages, uh, where if you want to temporarily or permanently have like a splash page to promote some new thing you've done or something like that, uh, you can do that very easily. You, again, you can put it up temporarily just like to celebrate like your launch a week, or you can leave it there forever and have it be part of your navigation. Um, they've added so much stuff in 7. They had this cool thing with Getty Images, where you can license stock photography for just $10. bucks. Um, you can browse a massive selection of Getty's catalog for this. And you can you can embed the images right there in your page if you need if you need a stock image for something that you're doing. So really uh very, very impressive stuff they're doing here. They've added email hosting if you need it on your domain that's hosted by them. All sorts of cool stuff. It's way too much to list in one in one ad read, but let me tell you what, they're they're doing some incredible stuff over there at Squarespace. So anyway, all that is Squarespace 7. It is rolling out as we speak and you can opt into it. Uh it's really as I said, very, very impressive. Anyway you can start a trial with Squarespace. This is a real free trial. No credit card required. A real, actual free trial. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code ATP when you buy to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for our show. Once again, use coupon code ATP at Squarespace for 10% off. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. All right. So we are recording this on Friday night the 17th of October. And yesterday, there was another Apple event, uh, this time talking about um, a lot of stuff we already knew about, and then some new iPads. And I think the first thing I should note is that the streaming for me, and I was streaming to my iPad mini, that is now sort of, but not really um, old. No, no, it's new. It's now the iPad mini 2. It got upgraded. Yeah, that's true. It is new, yet the same. Um, anyway, so uh, it's streaming to my iPad mini, which is connected via the HDMI adapter to a TV in my office. That worked pretty much flawlessly the entire time. And that was a welcome change from the utter disaster that was the iPhone keynote. And I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that's because nobody cared about the iPad keynote and there were a lot fewer um, viewers? Or do you think that Apple actually got their stuff together or a little column A, a little column B? Oh, I'd say it's definitely uh, a lot of column A and, and maybe a little bit of column B. I mean, the, every year the iPhone event is always by far the more important and the more um, the more watched and listened to one. Like if you ask if you ask people who run the big sites do, who do live blogs, they'll tell you the same thing. Where like the the iPhone event is is by far the bigger event of the year, and uh, and you know people do care about the iPad and stuff, but it's it's a lot fewer non-nerds who who will actually go to the trouble of watching the stream live 
Yeah, last time they had not just performance problems, but just even if there was only one person listening, they would have heard someone speaking in Chinese over half of the thing, right? So that's not a performance problem. That's a you don't have your wires crossed kind of problem. Yeah. Uh, so Or do have your wires crossed. And so this was at the town hall. And you got to think there's a home field advantage there where it's their database, their database, their network connection, their uh, network people, all their own infrastructure, uh, their video guys where it seemed like there was a TV truck that perhaps was not affiliated with Apple that was involved in the iWatch event. Uh, I can still call it the iWatch event because we called it that before we knew what the thing would be called. So it's going to be forever be the iWatch event. Anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know if, if that's the case, but it just seemed like when they that are in the Flint Center and this other big venue, they don't have control over every part of the experience of broadcasting and it just fell apart. Whereas when they do it in their little town hall thing or wherever they did the, the iPad event, they control everything. So, yeah, no problems with streaming here. I had it running on two different streams. Then the game I played was try to get a stream that's farther ahead because one stream would be like, you know, seven seconds ahead of the other one, and I'd reload it just for the hell of it to see if it would jump forward. But other than that, no drops. Yeah, you know, this time, the, this event and the iPhone event I watched in the office, and uh, th- this time what I did was I made sure that I had TweetBot always visible because I'm a really heavy user of, um, what is it? Spaces where, you know, you have multiple virtual desktops and I made sure that tweetbot was always visible and I engaged the pin, the timeline to the top thing, or I forget, I forget there's a better way of describing that, but anyways, so basically as, uh, all these tweets come in, the, the timeline is all auto, always automatically scrolling to the top. And that was both the best and worst way to watch this keynote because I felt like I was thoroughly entertained by watching all these tweets go by with the exception of a thousand freaking dogs, which I was really bored of very quickly. But then again, so were the dogs. And um, and so it was almost more work watching the Twitter stream. And, all, and I was almost more interested watching the Twitter stream than I was the event, which probably speaks to the quality of the event. Well, when you saw them doing just like demo after demo of things we've seen before let's go over the adoption numbers let's show you what's in these different os's and like not just mentioning them or putting up bullet points on a slide but like here let's show you ios 8 again it's like are you kidding me you knew there was not going to be a big exciting one more thing at the end of this keynote it was just going to be this little dog and pony show and then all the stuff that we knew was coming which is fine but like i like i don't know why you need I guess they feel like they have a captive audience, but why do you need to redemonstrate iOS 8 and, and Yosemite that long for this type of thing? Just get in, get out, be done. Anyway, it wasn't that bad. I, th- I thought it was fine. All right. So they did all these demos. I do think that Federici, and I've said this several times in the past, is my favorite presenter. Um, he pulls off the really dorky kind of dad jokes, I think, better than anyone else. Um, I think Q tries to, and it doesn't always land well, which is probably how it would be if I was presenting these jokes. But uh, nevertheless, I love Craig. I think he does a wonderful job presenting. I know I've said this a thousand times, but he's so much better now than he ever used to be. And I, I will never forget that first presentation. And gosh, he's so much better now. It's almost, you could almost say that it's that I appreciate him more having seen that first presentation in like 2011, 2012. Um, but I thought, I thought it was all really good. And I thought the call with Stephen Colbert as these silly, ridiculous calls go was one of the better ones. Yeah. So who's obsessed with the celebrities? Who's who do we think it's Tim Cook is obsessed with the celebrities? I don't know. It's weird. So, I mean, someone is because Steve Jobs was not in general. Steve Jobs liked to have a musical guest at the end and he would schmooze with them and all that stuff. That was his thing. But, 
real, really limited amount of, uh, you know, stunt casting in the keynote because, you know, Steve Jobs was a star of those who he felt like he should be there. But now it's like, who you know, that it's just you just come to expect it now. And I, I thought the Colbert thing was fine. Uh, like the problem with having Colbert on is even over a phone, which I couldn't believe they did it over a phone. He wasn't over. It didn't sound like he was over a voice over IP because the quality was terrible. Like he was on a POTS line. It sounded like really bad. Right. Uh, but even over that, you can see for the three or four little stilted lines he had to read was like, see, guys, this is what an actual performer is like. I mean, you know, I don't blame them. They're executives at Apple. Like, they're not actors. They're not comedians, which is probably why they shouldn't do comedy skits in the middle of these things. Like, don't plan it out. Be spontaneously funny or pretend to be spontaneously funny. Don't go into a skit. But Colbert's line delivery, even when reading this silly script, was so much better than the other side of the conversation. So don't don't bring real comedians on. It just highlights how you are not a real comedian. But I thought it was fine. All the people who were like Marco just went, Ugh. I know a lot of people were cringing and couldn't handle the embarrassment of it. It's like, whatever. I mean, even even the silly thing with Bono, like that, that was painful because both Tim and Bono are not natural in the environment of trying to whatever. It's like exposition plus comedy plus drama plus whatever they're trying to do. It is not their strengths. Stephen Colbert was funny. Craig was fine. The little handshake thing I thought was funny, you know. Eddie Q not being able to do it. The two guys who did do the handshake were funny. Oh, I forgot about that. That was even worse. I thought that was cute. And they, like I said, like I tweeted when it was going on, showing the rumor site with the uh, the spaceship campus taking off. That was dumb, but I got I just was so excited to think about someone had to go to their graphics department and say, we need a fake rumor. Make up a fake rumor and then make an awesome <laughs> graphic. Where, like The quality of that fake flying uh, campus uh, building rumor thing was so much higher than you. He's like... There's a lot of effort and talent going into a throwaway gag. Uh, that's that's an area where they could help, like uh, Colbert and The Daily Show, because those guys got to whip together some motion graphics or some little picture to be up to the right of the talking head in five minutes, whereas Apple, some poor guy at Apple probably sweated over that flying uh, circular building. But anyway, I whatever. I, I don't get too hung up on uh, that part of the thing. And we didn't expect great things out of this presentation anyway, and so we got what we got, right? I would rather have a presentation that's 10 minutes shorter than have one that includes awkward and really painfully unfunny skits because they don't need that. Like You, you aren't amused a little bit by them? Like I, if I was going to cut no. stuff, I, I would cut that, that intro video showing everybody happy to get iPhones. Never do that again, as someone tweeted, and I agree. Yeah, we've seen it too many times. I would cut all of the demos of things we've already seen demoed. Because this is a low, you know, not many people are watching this. The people who are watching it already know what iOS 8 is about. Don't re-demo that. Maybe do a little recap of Yosemite. Fine. Um, and then I would keep whatever the best segment was. So maybe keep the Colbert thing in and then drop the other one. But, you know, it's just that I just think someone has someone likes celebrities. And I don't know if it's all the way at the top. Tim Cook likes them or as individual VPs like them or they just want to find excuses to talk to their favorite celebrities, which I wouldn't blame them for. Hey, you know, what what advantages are there of being uh, a senior vice president or CEO of Apple? Well, I can meet all my favorite celebrities. All right, go. <laughs> I, I figure it's got to be Tim Cook because you can see like when, when Tim is involved, you can see he's like giddy about it, like how incredibly happy he is and like no one else is nearly as excited as he is about what's happening you know like i i think it's definitely like you could tell like you know cook is the one who's really into the celebrities and and that's why they keep happening but man i i wish they wouldn't because it just doesn't work it it it's boring it's not funny it's painful and it detracts from the presentation like it it, it detracts from the whole reason we're there it, it is these are 
these are good presentations. They have good things to announce. There's no reason to bring them down in this weird, awkward way. Like it, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I don't see why it's worth it. See, I disagree. I'm, I'm more with John in, in that, although they were kind of silly and lame, at least it shows that Apple has a little bit of personality and it's not just a completely boring, stodgy, this is what we've come up with. This is the new iPad. This is the new iMac. Hooray. Like, I don't know. I felt like it at least added some color, probably got beaten to death, but it's at least adds some amount of entertainment. And and Colbert's line about, um, you know what I see on my wrist or what I look at my wrist, my wrist get to work. I thought that was hysterical. It was. But the problem, you know, like as John said, the problem is like the delivery overall of the whole thing is usually like too slow too forced too awkward and you know and whether that's the side of just the apple people or both sides varies on on the skit but they don't need it because it doesn't it see it doesn't seem to me like they're commuting they're communicating personality or adding personality to me it it seems forced too scripted because you know we know these things are very scripted we know they've rehearsed we know we know that almost every line is considered and written beforehand well th- that that arrest line i assume was an ad lib yeah, because, because Stephen Colbert said, I have to read this like they give him a script and he looks at it and goes, oh, this is crap. And then I'm assuming he made that line himself at the end. Maybe or or maybe they approved it. Whatever the case is, it's it's very clear. These things are, are at least on the Apple side, extremely scripted and extremely rehearsed. And they're read at an extremely slow pace, which is good when you're presenting details of a product that the press has to write down. But when you're doing some kind of like entertainment bit. It just feels really awkward and forced, and it it, it doesn't feel to me – it doesn't feel genuine. It, it feels like we thought this would get you excited, and we're kind of excited to, to do something with a celebrity, so we're doing it in this like planned, artificial, forced way. But it just does not feel genuine at all. Well, it, it, it breaks up the flow of the presentation, which is the, the biggest downside for it. But like in the absence of genuine enthusiasm by the presenter about the tech details or the product features – uh, it's like this kind of is kind of filling the void. And I don't think the filler is the problem. It's the void that's the problem. Like there was, uh, I said this many times, that whenever Steve Jobs showed something, there was some aspect of it that he was obviously super excited about. And sometimes that aspect was stupid, but his excitement was genuine. And he was, whatever it was, he's excited about a volume button. He's excited about, you know, the edge of something. He's excited about a particular software feature. He was super excited about it. And, his enthusiasm, despite whether you yourself were excited about it, was infectious. You need something like that to drive the presentation. And and sometimes I get the idea that, like, at this point, you know, Craig Federighi is no longer particularly excited about iOS 8 extensions because he's like he's done with them. Like he was excited about doing them. He did them. He's talked about them on stage 10 times. Now they're going to ship. He's probably worried about, you know, bugs and iOS 8.1 and iOS 9 or whatever he's worried about. He can't muster the enthusiasm to tell you how excited he is about iOS 8 extensions, what they mean for the iOS platform and stuff like that. So to fill in that void of enthusiasm, that's like, oh, now uh, we'll have a celebrity skip because they are excited about talking to Stephen Colbert. And that's that I think is the worst part of it. Not the skits in themselves, but just that they they seem to be uh, filling in for something that's missing. All right. Let's talk about actual products. How about that? Uh, We certainly can. So they retconned my beloved retina pad mini and now it's the ipad mini 2 yeah congratulations yeah so now it makes even it will make Stephen hackett even more upset when i call it the retina pad mini which that's kind of enjoyable <laughs> i suppose 
but yeah, so it's now the iPad or the re- iPad Mini Two. I got that right, I think. Um, and what did they they drop the price a hundred dollars? Is that correct? Not even, not even, right? It's two forty. It's two forty nine, right? No, that's that's the, that's the old one, which is still for sale, which is crazy that they are still for another year, or at least for now, they are still selling the A five based iPad Mini One, which is based on the iPad Two, which came out in twenty eleven, and the iPad tu- the iPod Touch is the same as the Mini, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the A five, right? It's still A five based. Yeah, so, I mean, even though they didn't announce a new one, they're still selling the old one, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So. This, this as a developer, that makes me nervous and a little frustrated because, you know, the A5 was a great chip when it came out in 2011, uh, in early 2011 at that. <laughs> but it is now no longer a great chip. It is, it is, you know, if anybody who tries to run iOS 8 on uh, an original iPad mini, uh, an iPad 3, which uses the same A5 CPU, just with bigger GPU. Um, so iPad mini, uh, non-retina, iPad 3 any iPod Touch, and the iPhone 4S. Those are all the A5 devices. If you've tried to run iOS 8 on an A5 device, you know that that's not a great experience. It works, but it's it's pretty rough. And that's and because they're now still selling devices that use that, that means that chances are... So iOS 8, obviously, we're stuck with this for the next year. But what's going to happen next year when iOS 9 comes out? Is iOS 9 going to still need to support this because they're still going to be selling it when it, they're still going to be selling original iPad uh, minis when it comes out? It's constricting everybody. It's constricting, it's especially bad for game developers or anybody who depends on a lot of GPU power. Um, the funny thing is, like, they, sh- they showed in, in the presentation that that wonderful big hockey stick graph of the GPU power increase over the iPad's lifetime. <laughs> and the hilarious thing is that all these models that they're still selling, the second dot on that graph, that's them. That's the iPad 2. <laughs> that, like, they're still selling that today. Is it the case that developers can't uh, do anything with their apps to basically not make it work on the A5 devices? That is correct. Develop- developers cannot exclude A5 devices. Uh, they just, there's, there's no there's no mechanism to do it. The developers used to hack around this by like, they'd figure out like some hardware feature that was added. Like they'll be like, Oh, well this requires a gyroscope that didn't exist in like the iPhone three GS. So, like they, they would figure out ways like that, but there are no more of those ways that would exclude only the a five devices. And it's also against the rules to do that anyway. So if Apple caught you doing that, like excluding based on a hardware thing that you didn't really need to be excluding for, they would uh, ding you for that. So, there's really no way, and it's it sucks for game developers who rely on this because not only do, they have to either still support the A5 devices, which is a huge burden on any kind of modern graphics and you know modern stuff like that, or they have to like say in their description, which many of them do, warning: do not buy this if you have devices X, Y, and Z, and then deal with all the one-star reviews and the angry people that you can't respond to because you don't know who they are. Yeah, right. Because nobody reads the descriptions, so right. you get like you get every single person who buy, and you know it sucks if it's paid up front, then you can't refund it, and like it's it's just it's a, it's a bad situation for for so many reasons. This is why, like, I think you know we we know in the industry the the idea of the strategy tax, and uh, the strategy tax basically like you know some some part of of a big tech company like their strategic needs are holding back some other part of the company's strategic needs, uh, and you know we knew like in microsoft this was like you know office and windows fighting and having to like you know preserve windows everywhere holding back their mobile strategy and stuff like that i think with apple their their profit margins on their hardware 
and and there and someone's someone deciding that they need to keep pushing devices lower and lower and keeping them around longer and longer that is the apple strategy tax that we're seeing you know besides their being massively overcommitted on on software needs but uh, besides that it doesn't doesn't have to be though because like i i think it's good for them to have a cheap product they're big they're big hang up and it's not like it's it doesn't fall out of their strategy of we need to be at 249 for our ipads what the problem is that with the exception i guess maybe of the iphone 5c they just refuse to make a fresh, low-cost device. They always just go with last year's. And it's like, I've talked about this many times And when the 5C was coming out that I thought they should do it, and they kind of did it with the 5C, but not quite. Like, you can make a better product at that price point if you use modern technologies. Like, I know that you already have the factories up and going. I know you've been making this. I know there are economies of scale, blah, blah, blah. But, and I guess maybe it is margins, like you said. Give up a little bit of margins, make a new $249 device, that you know has an a6 or a7 in it figure out a way to do that like start from scratch and make a intentionally low-cost device so save money where you can use a crappier camera so on and so forth but don't just say well we have this device and now we can make it for cheaper so done and done we'll just keep it around because things age out in that old hardware and like the old USB 1, USB 2 example from the PC world from ages ago, eventually it becomes more expensive to put USB 1 in your PC because USB 2 is everywhere and you can't even find USB 1 anymore. And there's no real equivalent for that for iOS devices. But just if you take a clean sheet and say, with modern technology and modern prices on components, can I hit that price point, give up a little bit of margin and just make a better product, a better product because it gives a better impression to your customers, maybe put a little more RAM in it, a better product because it makes your developers happy. And it's just this this keeping around of the exact old product for years and years, iPod Touch, is just not it's not a good look, as they say. Right. Well, and it, it isn't it isn't just keeping around the old. It's even the choices you get with the new. So, for instance, the the 16-64-128 split. Well, yeah, yeah. We already went through that. I mean, they did it again, but it's like, what did we expect them to do? They're not going to turn like that decision was made, you know, a year ago. Well, and the reason they made that decision was not so they could make an extra $3 on the 16-gig one by not putting a 32-gig chip in it. They're just trying to push you up to the middle model, right? Exactly. See, this is they, they, did some, they did an amazing trick with the new iPhone pricing. They have managed to increase their, their likely average selling price by, like, $200. Because, so you figure, like, so many people would have been okay with 32. If 32 was the new baseline most people would have bought just the baseline. That's why. I don't know if this plan is going to work, though. Do you think it's going to work? Do you think it's going to push people up? I know that's, that seems like it's the aim. It's a typical anchoring thing where you try to push people up. But I just wonder if people are going to be like, I don't I don't know how, how flexible people are to go up to. Because the people who buy the bottom model, do they even know? Do they know how much storage they're using? Do they know 16 of what? Do they know how many of whatever those 16 things are that they're currently using? Uh, I suspect most iPhone owners have run out of space before. So that's, I, I think like people buying their very first iPhone might not be fooled uh, or might be, might be fooled into getting a 16. But I think people who are buying their second or third or fourth iPhone are going to be way more likely to go for a bigger size than the base model because they've probably faced a storage issue before. <laughs> if, if only upgrading to iOS 8, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yet another big. And so so here's the thing, like by by continuing to sell these small devices. Oh, and, and the other half of that is so they have they, they have this the 1664 thing so, so that, you know, if, again, if 32 was the baseline, everybody would just buy 32. They have kind of pushed a lot of people to go up market and to, to raise their average selling price that way. Also, keep in mind, the iPhone 6 Plus is $100 more. 
and they're selling a lot of those as well. So this entire the entire pricing of the iPhone line is, I think, very carefully designed to push that average selling price upwards. And if you look at the new iPad lineup, you can see that you know when when the when the first Mini came out, that that certainly pushed the average selling price down. Where and I, I don't think it has caught back up to where it used to be even now but if you look at the new lineup so so you, you have the the old crappy ipad mini at 250 fine wasn't it was it 280 before was is that roughly the same price 269 i don't remember something like that uh retina ipad is now 300 instead of 400 the ipad mini 3 which is just the retina mini but now also available in gold and with touch id no other changes gold gold option and touch id hundred dollars more <laughs> and then and then you have the ipad air the the old one which is still for sale at 400 also and then the ipad air 2 which is actually a substantial upgrade for 500 dollars, the original price of you know, full-size ipads all of this and of course the same 16 64 on most of those models uh so all of this is clearly made to push people up the line it's you know this is very carefully designed for upselling it's it's very obvious like apple's whole product line it like if you look at their pricing intervals they're very very carefully spaced out so that there's always something else that you can that you or a salesperson can talk yourself into to go like oh just a little bit more we'll get you this like until you hit like the absolute most you can spend (laughs) and that is on one side of apple the hardware profit margins side of it where they they need to maximize that then you look at what it does to developers. Now, developers, first of all, have to write to all these old CPUs forever. Keep in mind, not only is that affecting all of us, who Apple could kind of not care less about, like, you know, if, if life is a little bit harder for third-party developers in some way like this, Apple doesn't care that much. But Apple itself is one of the biggest iOS developers, if not the biggest iOS developer. And so Apple has to deal with this too. When they're making all of their built-in apps, when they're doing all of their own you know, development, the development of the OS itself, what the OS can even do. Apple is restricted by their own hardware margin needs in, in on their development side. And that that affects lots of things. It also affects, you know, the, the whole th- the whole problem with uh, iOS 8 upgrades and, and the very likely cause of it being a disk space issue, that upgrading to iOS 8 requires almost 5 gigs of free space and... Apple has been selling 8 and 16 gig devices in mass for a long time. Uh, and so it's like the, there's the, the percentage of people who who can't do an over. And yes, I know you can plug it into iTunes, but no one knows that and no one does that. The The amount of people who have an iOS 7 device and would upgrade, except they don't have 5 gigs of free space, is substantial. And so even that, that's the result of previous years Apple skimping on memory to say to to boost their margins and drive people to higher models now that is affecting them this year that's affecting their development teams and so this is all related this is why this it's a it's a, it's a clear strategy tax like the the hardware margins side of apple is restricting and causing problems for the software side of apple and the, and the developer side of apple you know i think for the most part i agree with what you said one thing i take a little bit of issue with though is is your thought that a lot of regular people would get not the baseline phone, not get the 16 gig phone. And I think in the same way, like you just said, that not a lot of people realize, oh, you can plug into iTunes and fix all these problems to do the iOS 8 upgrade. I don't think a lot of people really get into the intricacies of which iPhone to buy. 
And I look, I haven't like interrogated my coworkers, but certainly I've looked around the office over the last year as the 5C became a thing, as the 5S was a thing, and now as the 6 and 6 Plus are a thing. Um, I believe one of my coworkers got the exact same phone I did, the 6 with 64 gigs. Another one just got a 6, and because she is still on a family plan with her family, apparently her parents just went and picked up a phone for her. She didn't even know what capacity it was. Now, this is just one example, but it's an indicative example. Additionally, there have been a handful of people that have shown up with 5Cs. Now, I can't think of any developers that have, but... Manson has one. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I just meant in my office. But yeah, but either way, um, these are typically like project managers or HR people. And a lot of them have ended up with five C's. And these are people who work in in an environment, in a developing company. You know, we, we do software consulting. And yeah, and so if there was a quote unquote regular person that would understand why you would want a bigger phone, these are the people that that would do that, but they don't get them. And I wonder, I haven't, again, I haven't asked, but I wonder if maybe it's because, you know, it's hard to justify getting a hundred or 200 or 300 or shoot $700 iPhone over this equally pretty looking Android phone. That's like either free or a hundred bucks or whatever the case may be. And heck, now that I'm thinking of it, pretty much Aaron's entire family is all on Android. Um, generally speaking, not exclusively, but generally speaking, because those phones were considerably cheaper than iPhones. And I think that plays a much bigger role for your average consumer. That being said, I agree with you that if somebody w wanted to upgrade at all, or was at all privy to the fact that 16 gigs is not a lot, they are absolutely without a shadow of a doubt going to get a 64 gig phone. But the 5C is pretty awesome, though, like in term, like not in term. We know what's wrong with it. Right. But it, com <laughs> it comes in colors, which is just huge. And it's really comfortable. Like the reason Manton got one, I assume, is because it's just it's nicer to hold. Like it's if they had made, for example, a new low end uh, iPad mini plastic color back a six or a seven instead of an a five. Same price point. That would just be a better product all around. Right. Because like you can't underestimate the the attractiveness if you if you don't make it incredibly crippled, like give it eight gigabytes or something in 5C uh, of, you know, th that plastic is durable. It's attractive. It's comfortable. It's cheap. Uh, if you're going to give a little iPad to a kid, it comes in colors. These are all big selling points that are easy. It's like right they're right in front of Apple for it to grab. And because the 5C didn't do as well as they hoped, or as, as far as we can tell, like it was hobbled by other reasons, by the fact that it was alongside the much more desirable, what was it, the 5S that it came with? Mm -hmm. um, and so it was always the big, end, the high-end model was going to win. And they kind of crippled it by, you know, giving it not so great specs and not really improving it. It was just like the 5 in a different case, maybe with a slightly bigger battery. I just wish they would make uh, dedicated products for lower price points instead of just having this cascade. And the, the other thing with the, the storage, the RAM, like pick any spec you want that we complain about all the time. This has been true of Apple for so long, for like, you know, since the 90s, since even before Steve Jobs came back. Apple as a company will get it into its head that like some number is the correct number for some spec where there's going to be like every machine has four megabytes of RAM. Like I'm going way back here. And 
it'll have four megabytes of RAM and it will be fine. And then the next year, the bottom line will have four megabytes of RAM and you'll be looking around and go, well, everyone else doesn't have four megs at the bottom. And then the next year will come and the bottom line will have four megabytes of RAM. You're like, okay, is Apple not looking at the rest of the world? Nobody ships four megabytes of RAM anymore. And like, <laughs> it, it goes through this and until, until it just seems insane, you're like, surely this year they'll bump it. And, they don't. and then finally they bump it. And it's been that way, you know, with Apple is actually in a good cycle with the RAM now. They're not really skimping. They're get, they finally bumped everyone up to 16. But now it's a flash storage. Someone got it into their head that, you know, 16 gigs is perfectly good for the low-end model. But just keep doing that year after year after year. 16, 16, 16. The rest of the world is like, are you kidding? Now, first of all, they all have SIM slots and everything. Or not SIM slots, SD card slots and stuff on the other side of the fence. So at the very least, those people buy something. You just buy some cheap and probably slow and probably crappy and whatever. Complain about your SD cards. At least they have, you know, buy a faster SD card if they want to spend the money. They have the option to at least upgrade it. Apple's things are completely sealed up and they just keep going with 16. And so now we're at like the tail end of the 16th cycle where it's just, it's just crazy that they're doing this. It's just, it's hurting everybody. And if you want to pick out something to blame on the stereotypical Tim Cook, you know, character attributes, the fact that he's an operations guy and wants to like, you know, make all the numbers uh, add up in the columns and, you know, make sure that he's getting the best price for the best parts and the most efficiencies and everything. Uh, This would be something you could blame on, on that instinct, whether it's him or not, whether it's other people, it's just like, because again, this type of thing has been going on Apple for a really long time. It happened under Steve Jobs. It happened before Steve Jobs came back, but it is exactly in line with his, uh, you know, sort of uh, his expertise at uh, keeping costs down and profits, uh, profit margins high. But it's I think it's over the line and it's, it's really it's like Marco said, it's, hurt, it's hurting Apple, it's hurting customers. It's not a good call. Yeah. And it isn't you know, again, like it isn't 16 is not the minimum. 16 is the lowest that they do on, they do on new devices. They still they, they will sell old devices with eight still. Yeah, I know, but like I'm talking about like the flagship product, like the fact that you can get their flagship product with 16, and you can get their flagship product with 16 last year, and you can get their flagship like it was <laughs> like what you know the world moves on, prices go down, like it's just you're just hurting yourself. Yeah, and and it has to impact Tim's customer sat. <laughs> you have to imagine that you know the the experience of using a memory constrained Mac or a space constrained iOS device. It is a worse experience. It has to be causing increased load at the Genius Bar. It is definitely causing worse experiences and people to have worse opinions of their Apple products when they run into like constant disk space issues and stuff like that. It it, it is affecting them in other ways. That's why I I think this is long term. I think it's a bad move. I think they'll learn from this. We didn't talk. This was in the notes for a couple of weeks now, but we didn't talk about the iOS 8 adoption. And so they had to have, speaking of this presentation that we've kind of wandered off from here, uh, they had the slide up and they had, oh, look at iOS 8 adoption. And to make the typical super impressive slide, they had to combine iOS 8 and iOS 7. And compare <laughs> yeah. it, you know what I mean? Like to the so they could show a big number because iOS 8 adoption is slower. And now, granted, the decision to go with the 16s was probably made a year or two ago. Like it's ancient history now. But the one ramification that I think Apple can clearly see uh, is iOS 8 adoption is slower. Is it is it because of the bugs? Yeah, part of it's because of the bugs. Is storage part of it? Like in their big meeting where they talk about why is iOS 8 adoption slow, one of the points that has to come up is the storage thing. And one solution is that, oh, we need a smarter install. It takes up less room. But the other solution is stop shipping 16 gigs as the low end storage size for years and years. So uh, hopefully Apple being the uh, the learning machine that we think it is, will come out of this and say, we have made a misjudgment when we're planning for the iPhone 8. We need to not be ridiculous with the uh, with with the uh, flash sizes. 
All right. So we we wandered off a bit, but let's let's get a summary of the iPad minis and iPads mini, whatever. And then let's uh, talk iPad airs. Um, so it seems clear to me that unless you are in dire need of touch ID on all your devices, I see no point in spending an extra hundred dollars in, in getting an iPad mini three. Yeah, I just, I disagree with that. I know the pricing is ridiculous. I know that it is a ridiculous premium for you know, for what, for like, if you want to look like how much does it cost to put touch ID sense or whatever, but it's just, it's no more ridiculous than paying an extra hundred dollars for an extra 16 gigs of flash in terms of like the physics and the, the, the cost <laughs> of materials type thing. It's exactly as ridiculous, right? But touch ID is a tangible benefit. Once you have a device with touch ID, you don't want one without it. And having a mixed household with some touch or a, mis, a mixed personal repertoire of devices that mostly have touch ID, but then the iPad doesn't, this is, this is a case where I think much more so than the storage, they are charging $100 for a benefit that they think is worth $100 to some people. And I think they're closer to being right that this benefit is worth $100 than an extra 16 gigs of flash or something. Well, and they, they also had to overcome the problem they introduced last year when the iPad Air and, and Retina Mini came out, which was that the Retina Air and the Mini, you know, the Air is supposed to be the higher end device, but they were very, very similar because they both had the A7. So they, they both had the, you know, the same system on a chip. The Air was something like 5% faster, but otherwise, you know, it was minimal. Um, and so the, the Mini became just as high end of a device as the Air did. That, that was the fluke last year where suddenly the Mini became high end. That, that last year's Mini was a, was a good deal, relatively speaking. Exactly. And so this year, they basically upgraded the Air and not the Mini to create that gap again. Again, it's all about ASP. It's all about the average selling price. Like They, they want to push people who want the best to not say, well, the iPad Mini is just as good and it's smaller, so I want that and it's cheaper. No, they, they if you want the best, Apple wants you to go all the way to the top of the line and spend that money with that profit margin. I can't blame them. I mean, that's business. Like that's I'm not saying they're evil for doing this. Yeah, I mean, but what I'm saying, like I think of the Mini with with Touch ID, whatever the hell number that is, three. Uh, yeah, it's not a it's not a bad product. Like it, it, relatively speaking, we're like, oh, they just added this tiny thing and they and they added the price. That's true, but at least this one gives you like a a real tangible benefit like their chart that's what they're charged money for essentially it's it's and it's something you can i think it's something that people appreciate more it's not worth a hundred dollars obviously like if here's the deal if you were talking to somebody and they're trying to decide which ipad mini they should get you basically just go right for their budget say can you afford an extra hundred bucks to have this touch thing and if like well it looks neat but i don't know then you obviously you go for the cheaper model like it all comes but if you happen if a hundred dollars here or there is not going to break the bank and they're willing to spend that amount of money, I'm not going to say, even though you can afford it, even though you've got the money in your pocket right now and can buy that one, you shouldn't because it's not worth it because a Touch ID sensor is not worth $100. Well, neither is 16 gigs of RAM but you, or, or flash, but you tell people to do it anyway. It's like, it will just make your life easier. And if you can afford it, then then go for it. Okay, so I can get behind that assessment. The reason, though, that, I, that I'm hemming and hawing about, or I guess even saying no, is for me, and I love my iPad Mini 2. I had to think about that really hard. I love my iPad Mini 2, and it does not have Touch ID. And honestly, the only time I really miss Touch ID isn't when I'm unlocking the device, but is instead when I'm using 1Password, because I have a reasonably long password, and typing that constantly is a real pain in the butt. And so I agree with what you said that, hey, if you can afford that $100, heck yes, absolutely go ahead and spend it. But to me, I don't view it as a do or die feature like, say, a retina screen was. 
Well, it depends on how you use your mini. If you're using it kind of like a phablet where you're carrying it around with you, then like, because, you know, for the unlocking and unlocking, obviously with a phone, you do it all the time. You want to have the passcode. You want to have the security. Uh, but if your iPad never leaves your house, maybe you don't even need it locked. And then it comes down to like touch ID, which I was going to bring up before. Like, yeah, iOS 8 suddenly makes touch ID a much more useful thing than it was with iOS 7, because now, you know, one password and type, even if you never leave your house with it, that can be useful. Um, someone on Twitter has just mentioned that, and a lot of people have brought this up. I think I saw it on uh, during fireball as well. Like, well, Apple is, uh, you know, is using such a huge portion of the world's, uh, whatever it is, uh, whether it's the flash memory or RAM or whatever. And that's why, you know, the iPhone six only has one gig of RAM or that's why they only put 16 gigs of flash or whatever. Uh, and I think that's mostly BS because supply and demand are in a relationship with each other. Apple plans years and years ahead. They pay for the capacity they need. They pay for people to, uh, you know, build factories to add tooling. Like if you, if you, someone is there to buy it, some, you know, like, it, it will all work it out. It's economics. It's not like, well, there's only, it's not like, you know, someone's picking coconuts. Like, well, we're all out of coconuts and we can't plant anymore. Like if, if, if there's a demand, <laughs> if there's a demand, someone will, someone will provide the supply. And Apple in this case, and in all its cases, is so willing to sink huge amounts of capital up front to get the capacity to manufacture whatever it is they need at the volumes they need. So I don't believe that supply is the problem because as far as I know, there is no like natural resource or, climate related issue or whatever that is like capping the amount of available uh you know nand uh capacity in the world other than the thing that's capping it is how what the orders were put in you know two three or four years ago whenever the the current capacity you know what i mean like there's a lead time and everything but there are inputs into the system and apple is such a huge input that if it wanted to plan for say you know uh, three years from now all of our devices are going to have double the flash ram they would start spending the money now. It would show up on their balance sheet, and eventually the supply would be there for them. So I still feel like this is a decision Apple makes about what they want. It's not like, well, we'd love to put more flash in there, but we just it's just not available for us. That's that's a cop out. Yeah. All right, well, Marco. Why don't you tell us about something else that's really cool? I would love to. We got a new sponsor this week. All right. Uh, it is uh, it's from Mailchimp, but the sponsorship is actually not for Mailchimp. It's for their uh, email service called Mandrill. Well, it's a, it's an email service too, but it's called Mandrill. M A N D R I L L. Uh, Mandrill is a scalable, reliable, and secure email infrastructure service trusted by more than 300,000 customers. Uh, it's very easy to set up and integrate with existing apps, and it's very, very fast. They have servers all over the world. They can deliver your email in milliseconds. Plus, they give you all these uh, reports. They have analytics. They have a very friendly interface to look at all the stats and everything. So your entire team, from developers to marketers, can easily monitor and evaluate email performance. Now, they have, you know, the MailChimp email service is for sending newsletters and stuff like that. Uh, Mandrill is for transactional email. So this is this is things like it, if your app is sending email, like, from your app to one person at a time. So it's things like password resets, welcome messages. Um, you know, and you can also, you can do things like marketing emails and customized newsletters. Um, but where Mandrill really specializes in the those things like password resets and those things where, like, you have to get those to somebody. It's very important that they get through all the spam filters and everything, that they get there quickly they, they don't they, they don't get gray listed and all that's all that stuff um and it's very very and and you need great integrations with your software to do that you know because you, you need your apps to be able to integrate with their their api or their sdk to be able to send these emails without a whole lot of effort so they have all this stuff set up for you they're very very developer friendly this is made for developers uh they have all these web hooks they have analytics they all this crazy stuff um 
on top of that, it comes with a beautiful interface for all the management stuff. So they have flexible template options to, for your messages themselves. They have custom tagging in the interface. Uh, they have all this advanced tracking, advanced reporting. Mandrill is the only email infrastructure service with a mobile app that lets you monitor delivery and troubleshoot from wherever you are. It's also very powerful, scalable, and affordable. Uh, but you don't have to take our word for it or Mandrill's word for it. Uh, they're offering our listeners a special deal. Sign up at mandrill.com, M-A-N-D-R-I-L-L.com, mandrill.com with promo code ACCIDENTALTECH. One word, ACCIDENTALTECH. And you'll receive 50,000 free email sends per month for your first six months of service. That's pretty cool. You can set 50,000 password resets per month. Hopefully your users aren't that forgetful, but we all know they are. So anyway, uh, thank you very much to Mandrill. Um, integrate, deliver, track, and analyze. That's their tagline for their email infrastructure service. Wonderful service at Mandrill. Thanks a lot to Mandrill for sponsoring. All right. So we should probably talk about the iPad Air 2. And as someone who converted from a large iPad to a mini iPad, uh, to be honest, I didn't find this that terribly exciting. However, the thing I thought most interesting, or the two things I thought most interesting were the loss of the rotation lock, or I guess it could also be a mute switch, and the Apple SIM, which wasn't even brought up during the keynote. And I actually think that's the most intriguing to me. As it turns out, and I've talked about a lot in the past, you know, I have a T-Mobile SIM for my uh, iPad mini too. And it's actually, it came with a Verizon SIM and I flipped sims back and forth on a surprising regular basis for a device that i very rarely pay for cellular data on and i i really like being able to do that now unfortunately in this case verizon isn't part of this apple sim agreement and it is fairly u.s centric i think what is it ee that's a, that has it in the uk i believe it's pronounced e <laughs> so yeah so e has it in e.co.uk um but anyway so I think it's a clever, a clever, clever idea, and I really like the idea of it just as much as I dislike the idea of losing the rotation lock because I use that constantly on my iPad. All right, good talk. Glad, <laughs> glad everyone agrees. I honestly, I hardly ever use my iPad anymore, so I have no opinion of this at all. Like, I, I'm not going to get any of these, and uh, yeah, I, I, I see why people like the iPad, but I don't. So uh, there you go, John. I I like the big one. I'm I'm due to replace my iPad three eventually. It's not really. I have so many other issues, the hardware issues that I'm not like <laughs> dying to get one. But uh, yeah, like it looks good, and you know, it, it, we talked in past shows that like about Apple being. Uh, I'm more convinced than ever that Apple is is tied to numbers for things like battery life. Like, why did they make it a millimeter thinner and give me more battery life? That it's like they have a target battery life. And they want it to be thinner. And if they could reach the target battery life while also making it thinner, then that's what they do. And that's, that is basically their very simple rule set. So what's the target battery life for an iPad? 10 hours. Can you hit 10 hours and make it thinner? Yes, we can. Done. Like, I don't think there's a lot of hemming and hawing. Well, we can get 12 hours if we make it, a, if we keep it the same thickness. No, the rule is hit the target, make it thinner. Can you do both? You can. Good, good job. Bonuses all around. So 10 hours. I guess it's fine. Um, I can't even imagine how thin that thing is compared to my iPad 3. Uh, so I have to go to the store. I'm trying not to touch them. Uh, I'm still kind of annoyed <laughs> by the, uh, you know, the iPad Air's border being uh, thinner because I always feel that's one of the reasons I hate the mini. I, I hate the thumb rejection crap. 
Uh, and I always feel like my finger, I always feel like I can't get a secure grip on it without accidentally touching the screen. And they made the borders thinner with the air and they're still thinner. And I just, I think it will make the device a little bit less comfortable for me. But anyway, eventually I'll get one. It's going to be awesomely faster than my iPad three screens, better, lower glare, thumbs up. I'm totally going to get one unless they, unless by the time I buy one, they make, they introduce an iPad pro or something. All right. So quick follow on question to that. Rick, do you know if you will get another LTE iPad and does that relate to whether or not you're going to be getting an iPhone? I will get another LTE one. All my iPads have, have been cellular and I use that capacity and I like it. So yes, I will pay whatever the insane, ridiculous prices that they charge for <laughs> the super duper top of the line LTE. Like that's the reason, you know, keep this iPad three. I paid, I can't even remember how much I paid for it, but it was a lot. $900. Whatever it was, it was like a computer's worth. And so I'm getting my money's worth out of it. But yeah, I always buy it with cellular because I use it when I'm on vacation. Like I basically, I don't bring computers on vacation. I bring a, you know, cellular iPad. Yeah, this is my first cellular iPad, my third iPad, but my first cellular one. And I always thought people were crazy when they said, oh, get the cellular one. But oh my goodness, I'm so glad I did. Now, part of that probably relates to me not being able to tether to my phone because I'm still grandfathered on the AT&T Unlimited plan. But um, but I still love having an LTE iPad. And I suspect even if I could tether, I would still get one. All right. Anything else on the uh, iPad hardware? I don't think so. I mean, they, they did spend a lot of time in the presentation kind of overdoing the thinness thing. Yeah. But, but again, I, I think that is kind of their big marketing point for the iPad Air 2 because there aren't, there aren't that many more changes that would be very marketable to a mass audience. Yeah, and I don't I don't oppose that strategy. Like I did that post on Hypercritical a while back about the thinness thing. Like, I, it's a reasonable strategy, but it's just it's so clear now that, like, I mean, and I think it's so much more reasonable with the iPad than the phone even because, like, the iPad battery, like no one is like, oh, my iPad, my full size iPad is constantly running out of battery. Like 10 hours is a reasonable target to hit and it's an honest 10 hours and it's fine. You know, whereas the iPhone, you're like, well, you know, the iPhone battery life is so incredibly variable. Like if you're in an area with low signal and the thing is constantly searching and everything, it just kills your battery life. And then you do not want to be stranded without a phone. Whereas the iPad 10 hours has real solid 10 hours. You're not using it as your lifeline to communicate with people, and, and it's probably fine. So I actually I, I approve of the strategy. It's just that like every time they bring up that 10-hour thing, they keep reemphasizing it. It's so clear that that's what their requirements are. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to briefly mention before we give Marco his t- two hours in the sun to talk about his <laughs> stupid new computer, um, did you guys feel like Schiller was phoning it in, or was it just me? You know, other people said that. I rewatched it. I didn't think it was anything wrong. I mean, Schiller's always a little bit low key. Like I, that's what he's like. That's that's Schiller. It's not. Yeah, I think that. I think he was. He was the way he always is. All right. I mean, I I felt like he was. He's always reserved. You're absolutely right about that. But I felt like he was a little kind of going through the motions. Sometimes he seems distracted because. But it's like I don't know what he's distracted by. You used to think he'd be distracted by the fear of Steve Jobs' laser eyes off stage staring into the back of his head if he's doing something wrong. But <laughs> these days, Tim is off having a cup of coffee, probably. So fair enough. All right, let's uh, knock out one more uh, sponsor and then let's have Marco go on for two hours. That sounds great. I'm not sure it sounds great. Honestly, I'm probably not going to go. I'm not going to talk that much about it anyway. <laughs> I got my review to get to. Exactly. Uh, all right. So our last sponsor is Igloo. Uh, Igloo is an internet you will actually like. Not internet. It's hard to make an internet that anybody likes, but an intranet that you actually like. Also hard, but Igloo actually tackled that problem and did very well at it. So anyway, Igloo 
is an internet. It's built with easy-to-use apps like shared calendars. You can do tw- Twitter-like microblogs. They have built-in file sharing, task management, much more. It's everything you need to work better together in one very configurable cloud-hosted platform. And I, I got to tell you, the feature set they have is incredible. You can like comment on everything. You can make action items, and you can probably even make parking lots. I haven't checked, but... <laughs> Would not surprise me at all if they had a built-in parking lot feature. Maybe you could like pick different pavement colors. I don't know. Anyway, oh my god, uh, Igloo has responsive mobile design, so your internet already works like a champ on virtually any device: iOS, Android. Even they actually even support Blackberries. I assume they even support that new Square one. Have you seen the Square Blackberry? Yes. Well, not in lo- not in person, but it looks weird. It looks interesting on the on the internet. <laughs> so anyway, if you are the if you are one of the two people who bought the Square BlackBerry, do you maybe you also use Opera? I don't know. There's these the random people somewhere, but uh, it, it will actually work on your device as well. Uh, Igloo even works on your new plus sized iPhone six plus right from the very start. You can review a document. You can post a project update. You can change admin settings. You can talk about how that U2 album snuck onto your iTunes library all from your phone, uh, even if that phone is a BlackBerry. Plus, when you design your igloo, any change you make to the look and feel carries across all of these devices. Uh, it is very responsive and has the mobile mobile in mind right from the start. Uh, igloo's file preview engine is also fully HTML5 compatible. None of these like you know flash previewers or anything. So if one of your coworkers uploads a proposal or a JavaScript file, you can preview in line. You can add comments. You can upload new versions or assign action items right from your phone. Uh, it was also part of the Gartner Magic Quadrant, which is very important for Enterprise. So if you work in Enterprise and your bosses read the Gartner Magic Quadrant report, uh, you can tell them that Igloo is adequately Enterprise because they're in the Magic Quadrant report. They've been there for this. They're now there for the sixth consecutive year alongside tech giants like Microsoft and IBM and stuff like that. Uh, in a report that values the size of the vendor, uh, which in Gartner terms means viability, Igloo is praised for their responsiveness and customer experience. Um, really, and here, let me see, they, they have a quote here. Uh, from Gartner's profile of Igloo, this is what it says. Feedback from Igloo's reference customers was consistently positive. They praised the product's quick deployment, configuration, and customization flexibility with self-service options for non-technical users, control over branding and information organization, and ease of use. They also praised the responsiveness of Igloo as an organization. So anyway, if your company has a legacy internet built on SharePoint or other old portal technology, and this is not the fun kind of portal, but the game, this is like the old kind of portal like Yahoo, uh, you should give Igloo a try. Igloo is free to use for groups of up to 10 people. You can sign up at igloosoftware.com slash ATP. Once again, go to igloosoftware.com slash ATP. Uh, so thanks a lot to Igloo for sponsoring our show. Once again, they've been a longtime uh, friend and supporter of our show. So I completely forgot. Uh, I asked you, John, and then you effectively dodged. Um, there was no iPod Touch at this event. We have no indication that an iPod Touch is coming. <laughs> oh, yeah, the iPod exists. So, yeah, the iPod's still a thing. Uh, so what is your plan with regard to smaller-than-iPad mobile devices from here on out? Yeah, probably going to get an iPhone. I've had I've had a loaner iPhone for a little while. Uh, Apple sent one because they took a lot of the functionality, like the phone uh, integration with Yosemite. They took that out of the iOS 8 builds that were out there. So if you wanted to test it with uh, – if you had iOS 8 GM and you couldn't do use a lot of these features, you needed 8.1. So they sent me an iPhone 6 with uh, 8.1, and uh, I was using that. And I, as soon as I got it, I've been using it as my main actual phone. So it's giving me a feel for what it's going to be like. Uh, I'll, I'm, you know, like I said, I'll probably eventually get one. There's no iPod. What choice do I have? There's nothing. There's no other choice. 
for me to get that. I can, I'm not, I can't use that iPod Touch anymore. And I, mean, I know you guys went through all this stuff with your iPhone 6 a while ago. There's one thing that I would add to into the mix of all the things you talked about, about the screen size and all that stuff, is that the thing that surprised me most, even after hearing all your uh, issues with the iPhone 6, was how much heavier it feels than my iPod Touch. I know it is heavier. I don't know how much heavier it is. It can't be that much heavier. I mean, they're both really light devices, but, and I think my RSI is a factor here as well. So I'm super sensitive to changes in effort required from like, you know, fingers and tendons and stuff like that. But boy, it just feels like a brick. No case. I've been using it with no case since I've had it. Uh, it just feels so damn heavy. Uh, but yeah, that's, I'm going to have to get one. I wonder if maybe, honestly, maybe you should get a 5S. I hate that thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, what do, do you feel like the iPhone has demonstrably changed the way you go about your day? And I'm not patronizing you. I'm honestly asking because when I got my 3GS, which admittedly was a kind of different time, it dramatically changed everything. Because if I didn't know where something was, I could look at a map on my phone. If I didn't know something's phone number, I could look it up. Like, what did you keep calling it in the um, keynote lines, your information phone or whatever it is? Uh, yeah. And so having an information phone just completely changed my world. Do you find that that's the case or do you find like it's whatever? Uh, well, you know, so I've had a surrogate information phone. Like anytime I, anytime I go anywhere with my wife, I have her look things up on her information phone. We use her phone for navigation in the car if we're, you know, like, so I've had that for a while. And if we're, if we're somewhere and we're just waiting around and we're bored, she'll let me use her phone to read Twitter. Like her, her, her Twitter and her thing assigned it to my account because she doesn't have a Twitter account. So she just reads my Twitter. So I read my Twitter on her phone. And so having this, I don't know how long have I had this, like a week or I don't know that, long enough. Uh, I think it's only been maybe three times when I've used it in that capacity. Once was when I was dropping my kids off one of their activities on the day the Yosemite review was published and I wanted to catch up. I wanted to not fall farther behind on my Twitter. So while I was like in the waiting area, dropping them off and picking them up and stuff, and then this place doesn't have Wi-Fi. I mean, some of their activities have Wi-Fi. In fact, a lot of their activities do have Wi-Fi. So I would use my iPod touch, but here I'm like, oh, I can, since I have my phone with me, uh, because I used it in the car ride over to listen to podcasts, I can use it to read Twitter while I wait and wait for the kids to come. Right. And once at a dinner with some friends, I looked up something on it, but if I hadn't, I could, my wife was there too. I could have had her look something up on it uh, as well. That's about it. I mean, like it's all stuff I've done before. It's not, it's not as mind blowing as your experience because you were like, I was never able to do this before. And now I'm able to, right, whereas right. now it's like, it's slightly more convenient. I'm mostly the, the most of the experience to me is getting coming to grips with this just gigantic device i know it's not even that big but like this big heavy device and the the weirdness of how it feels and the ca the caselessness is a thing too because like i said i've always had cases on my ios on my small ios devices i will have a case on one but i'm using this one without a case just because what am i going to do buy a case for a loner that would be silly um but i really love touch id i'm such a total convert on touch id oh it's the best I mean, i've been using it on my wife's phone obviously all my fingers are on her phone anyway uh, but having it on your own device, like I never had a lock on my iPod touches I, and I, I put a lock on this as soon as I got it and I just use yep. touch ID and it's just, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, I'll probably get an iPhone six. Why don't you buy a case now? You can return it within 14 days. If you've decided after that point that you will not own an iPhone six. No, I mean, I'm probably going to get one. It's just a matter of like just getting everything out of the way and going to, you know, going through the whole thing and getting my number ported over from my old crappy phone. And that's going to be a hassle because, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't need to get it. Like, I want to see what the cases are like. I don't even know which one I want yet. So, uh, I'll, I'll get it sorted out. You want the Apple leather one? Yep. Have you, have you used your, um, information pod at all since you've had the, the review <laughs> information phone? Oh, no, I, I've, 
I've been intentionally avoiding it because I don't want to switch back and forth. I just want to say, nope, this is it. You got to use the big one. There's only like, I think one or two times that at once I needed to use the Google Authenticator app, which can only be on like one of your iOS devices or some crazy rule or whatever. Because I didn't. Whoa, whoa, slow down. You're not using Authy? Uh, no, I use the Google one. Should I be using Authy? You should be using Authy. But anyway, what, carry what's, on. What's better about it? It, you can have it on more than one device. It's I I think that it may optionally push some of the stuff server side, which you may take issue with. But um, but I I really like it, and it's much prettier than the Google One was as of a year ago. I haven't looked back since then. Yeah, so I had to use it once for that, and then I had to pick it up once for something else related to oh ebook testing because when you load up iBooks on the iPhone six, it like I have my my media queries treated differently for for sizing, so I needed an actual five uh portrait style thing so i needed to test that uh, briefly but for the most part i've been trying not to touch it because i want to be like immerse myself in the six and then go back to the, my little thing and see how it feels fair enough all right so sorry for that quick aside i uh, just wanted to find out so it's gonna be a short show yeah it's gonna be a super short show so before we get to the review which is what everyone's actually waiting for um marco why don't you tell me about your computer that you're going to get that i'm so enthusiastic about yeah, desktop retina happened, then I'm getting it. <laughs> well, actually, that was pretty quick. That makes me more enthusiastic. Um, is there any? <laughs> all kidding aside, is there anything? Is there anything you have to add? Because you have been, and I've seen you. I've seen Sean Blanc. I've seen uh, Jason Snell. All hemming and hawing about. Oh, should I get the upgrade for this? Should I not get the upgrade for that? Um, is there anything you'd like to add about your strategy? Like, what did you and did you order yet? And if so, what did you end up ordering? I have I've mostly ordered through I'm I order, ordering through the business rep um, for the local Apple store because you get you end up getting a couple hundred bucks off. Uh, the big reason is that uh, because it's being used for primarily software development in the state of New York, it is tax free. Uh, so that saves a few hundred more dollars. So the total savings is something like five hundred bucks doing it this way, um, or even more actually. So anyway, yeah, I got it decked out, top of the line, everything because it, it basically is as good as the Mac Pro or better uh, for almost everything I do. Uh, with the one exception of handbrake video encodes, it is 15% slower. However, for everything else, it's 25% faster. So <laughs> it's uh, like anything single-threaded, it's actually substantially faster. Um, you know, I, 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 this is definitely wasteful. I'm going to lose probably as much as I'm saving on the sales tax on the new one. I'm going to lose that in value when I resell my current Mac Pro. But I, I said when I when I was buying this Mac Pro uh, almost a year ago, I said, when desktop retina is possible, I will do whatever it takes to get it. And that's how important it is to me. And a lot of people, it isn't that important to them. And that's fine. Or a lot of people, you know, like they'll, they'll like it, but they'll, they're willing to wait until they buy their next computer two or three years from now, and that's fine. Um, a lot of people are like Syracuse and won't buy a Generation 1 Apple product, and there are some benefits to that. What are you talking about? I bought, I bought the very first uh, Power Mac G5, the highest-end model. Recently. <laughs> well, this, this Mac Pro was, I guess it's not the first generation, but... It's the first generation to have this specific <laughs> CPU in it. I mean, they didn't change. Well, they're the all that. <laughs> every every Apple computer I is the, the top. <laughs> I bought the top of the line blue and white G3 when it came out too. I have no problem buying the, the the first generation top of the line thing. I mean, I'm wary about it like everybody else, but it's not like I have a religion against it. All right. Well, anyway, um, so I said I would do whatever it takes to uh, to get Retina on the desktop because it it is that important to me. I thought when I bought this Mac Pro that it would that it would be able to drive a retina monitor 
and it can drive 4K monitors, and you can get the the Dell 24-inch 4K monitor and have it be roughly the right DPI to do true 2x. You can do all of those things with it, um, but it's it's not great. You have a desk covered in Dell monitors, uh, which themselves are not amazing, and also, from what I hear, very buggy and inconsistent in this usage. It, it, you can do it with the Mac Pro, but what I really wanted was a giant 27 to 30 inch monitor, like that that size class. And 4K to do that is either everything is too big, or you do software rendering and and you know and artificial scaling, and that reduces quality. And you might not notice it. You know, I don't think you'd notice it on a 5K panel if you if you simulated a different mode. On a 4K panel at 27 inches, you might notice it. We talked about this before, so I'm not going to I'm not going to go further into it. Anyway, I, I was assuming a 5K monitor was not going to exist for the next couple of years. That turned out to be wrong. I was also assuming that any retina, any desktop retina monitor I would want would be available in some kind of external form factor, and that would plug into my Mac Pro with no problems, and it would work just fine. That has been wrong so far. There's the Dell 5K one coming out this winter. That might do it. Uh, but we don't know yet. And the the Dell uh, 4K ones had some issues for a while with with running on certain computers, including the Mac Pro. Various things like enabling the MST thing. It's it's complicated the way it works. It's kind of a hack. 5K is even more of a hack because it needs even more bandwidth. It has to use two different uh, Thunderbolt or DisplayPort cables, uh, and the GPU has to be able to properly multiplex those together into one signal for one panel. And it's it, there's enough moving parts or things that are kind of on the edge of standards or not very well-supported standards, there's enough moving parts here that I think the chances of the Dell 5K panel working without weird issues on a Mac Pro are low. So this this came, this came out, and the combination of, of both 5K being available when I thought it wouldn't be for years, plus uh, the much faster CPU speed uh, for single-threaded use, which is what, I, which is what I'm usually limited by, uh, that pushed me over the edge where I really did not expect to buy a Mac Pro and then want to sell it 10 months later, but that's what's happening. Fun. Well, that was actually a lot less painful than I thought. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's what what's most interesting about it is how relatively boring it is. Like, they, <laughs> there's no, like, weird tricks to how this exists no it's kind of weird two two display port connections inside this thing to it's it's weird enough that i'm glad that you're going to take one for the team and a bunch <laughs> of other people are going to find out what are the weird issues with i'm i'm excited by, by the fact that they they tout a power reduction which means that it's you know so, so there's other technologies involved with the screen yeah. i don't know what they're doing to get the power reduction i don't know the details of it but at least it means it's not going to be like like the water cooled being the Power Mac G5, like the, like the water cooled computer is just like at the hairy edge of what's possible. But it is kind of at the hairy edge of what's possible, just not in terms of power and heat. It seems like they've got that more or less under control. But I really just don't know what it's going to be like for, you know, for just day to day use for gaming for anything like that. So I really need I'm you know I would never buy one of these sight unseen. You'll probably be okay considering the amount of time something spends in your house is low because something new and shiny comes along and you just <laughs> like the new ones. But for considering I'm sitting here next to a 2008 Mac Pro, I really want to know what I'm getting before I get it. And, you know, my recent not-so-great experience with the Thunderbolt display, which is brought relatively early in the life of that product, although not, you know, sight unseen. I'd seen them before. Like, I just, I'd like other people to sort this out. So you'll tell me all about it when you get one. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And and you know, I'm uh, I see a lot of our friends on Twitter. Gruber said he ordered one, and he buys a computer like every ten years. So that, yeah, that's... I mean, we were we were all waiting for desktop Retina. I mean, we, what have we been talking about this whole life of the show? Marco and I are like, you know, we just need a machine that can run desktop Retina. We hoped it would be the Mac Pro, and it wasn't. But you, Marco, bought one anyway because he's Marco. But like everyone, all the ner- <laughs> all the nerds in our circle are like totally. I mean, Gruber is using. I think the 20 inch version of the screen that I have in front of me, the, the aluminum display with white plastic things on the side. I have the 23 inch. Yeah, the 20 inch one connected. Like he's just, he's been staring at ancient technology. So it's just going to, you know, he's going to have the world's biggest upgrade in terms of what he's looking at all day. And uh, those are the best kind of upgrades, but it's just like, like the, the iPhone 4, you're like, wow, no, this is a whole other world we're in here. So. And John, you're definitely looking to upgrade your mac pro and this is definitely at least in the running it's in the running like i again i've talked about or before we started uh recording or before we went live anyway that every time my poor mac pro is just super slow because of the spinning discs and everything i i almost buy an ssd so many times i'm on that amazon page and i'm like oh i'm like pricing things out i'm getting you know looking at reports i'm just almost buying because if i got an ssd it would seriously extend the life of this machine because i have a very similar machine one year newer at work that's all ssd and it's fine like but my home one is so painful I'm like why don't you just get an ssd they're not that expensive and i said no no what i should do is take that money that i'm about to spend on an ssd and put it towards whatever my next computer is whether that's a mac pro or an imac or whatever so uh, looking at the specs of that imac it is not ideal i like something that's good for gaming i worry that even the high-end gpu with that kind of resolution is not going to be great for gaming. I already know, like we're looking at the specs. It looks like it's maybe a little bit weaker than one of the good GPUs in the Mac pro. And if you're going to do the Mac pro for gaming, you can, you know, use it in crossfire mode. So, you know, at best it's half as fast as the Mac pro for gaming uh, and driving more pixels than the Mac pro has to drive. Uh, obviously you wouldn't run games in that resolution anyway, but anyway, I, I want to see some benchmarks first because you know, you can't replace it. It's all sealed into one big thing. There's not going to be any upgrading of that. Like I upgraded the GPU on my Mac Pro. Uh, it is now a, still a vaguely viable gaming machine only because I upgraded the GPU. I can't upgrade the GPU in that iMac. So if I spend four grand on an iMac, the screen's going to look awesome. But how long will it last as my gaming machine? So I'm still, you know, it's like, well, if I don't buy this iMac, am I just going to wait another year? for you know for the new mac pros that can drive the uh hopeful eventual uh external version of this display well i think it might be two years for that actually if, if you look at the roadmap and what, what, what we're waiting for is displayport 1.3 and thunderbolt 3 yeah. uh which will most likely come together um and that's not slated to go into xeon chipsets for quite a while uh it's not even slated to go into consumer chipsets until at least a year from now you know possibly longer if intel delays anything which happens a lot uh, so it, I, I think you might be waiting. A, you might, I, I, this, that's why I said, I said in my article about the iMac stuff, I said, it, I, I would guess if I had to guess when Apple would chip an external version of this monitor, I'd say 2016. Yeah, I know. I might be, if, I mean, if I have to wait that long, then I would just have to get an SSD and it'd be like, okay, well, this is an SSD. Like I'm the thing that almost gets me to click the button. The SSD is like, I'm not going to throw it away. If I got a new computer, I would use the SSD as like a backup drive or something, you know, like, it's not like I wouldn't like, Oh, that was a waste of money because I would use it, but I'm just trying to, you know, save because I don't know what I'm going to do. But like the pricing is just so ridiculous. I'm like, it's similar pricing to the Mac pro, but you get a free gigantic monitor with it. Basically when it comes <laughs> yeah. out. And, 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 you know, the, the server, the server versus consumer gap is just embarrassing. But the, the other thing is that, 
especially with huge amounts of RAM, I really, I, I, this seems silly, but, and, and, you know, Marco said it as well in your thing, like, we both have this feeling based on nothing, which is probably false, but it's like that ECC RAM with huge amounts of RAM is a benefit. And Marco, you attributed like, well, you know, I don't, sometimes I have these weird kernel, but who knows if that's even what is attributed. I just feel better. This is what it comes down to. I feel better with server class components and ECC RAM. I just do. And I don't know if it's completely in my head or it's a placebo effect or I'm being a sucker or if really that ECC is correcting one bit errors all day long and saving me <laughs> from kernel panics because I cannot remember the last time I had a kernel panic on this Mac Pro. This thing is like a champion. It just, other than its stupid spinning disks, which I hate with a bloody passion, it's not the Mac Pro's fault. They spin, you know, it's spinning rust, whatever. Everything else about this machine, 100% reliable. And I like that. And so I would have more faith in the reliability of a second or third generation boom tube Mac Pro. Who's calls it the boom tube? Is that uh, Wave saying that or was it you? Anyway, I would I would have more faith in that machine just because it's all server class components and just the cooling system is so incredibly efficient and probably quieter and all these other things, but it's ridiculously expensive and not that good at games, which is why I don't have the current one. So I don't know. No decision on desktop yet for me. Man, but this might be the year of John Syracuse as it turns out, because you're going to have a phone, you're going to have a new iPad, you might have a new computer, you have a new car. It's the year of Casey, you're, you're going to be a dad. I don't know if we ever uh, said this on the show, but you talk about someone who is uh, good at doing dad jokes. You are already such a dad. <laughs> that you, you, were, you were just like, all, all you're missing is the kid. The, the terrible humor, the all this, just, you are already a dad. I'm, I'm glad you approve. Man, what's going to happen to your jokes after the kid's born? They'll actually be funny. No, he's like he's he's been living the dad life for so long now. Just he just <laughs> didn't have the kid. All he needs to put it in. All he needs is just a young person to be embarrassed by him, and the system is complete. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, so so Marco, you are going to order a maxed out um, i Mac. Almost said iPad. Yes. Okay, I think that that's what Underscore did as well, if I understood uh, developing perspective correctly. Um, and that seems to be the trend these days. So enjoy your new computer, and I am so... This is exactly, what, speaking of, like, this is exactly what happened when you guys weren't in the Mac community back then, I don't think, but uh, when, so there's the, the Yosemite, speaking of Yosemite, G3, and there's the G4s, and the, and the wind tunnel, and the Quicksilvers, and the crazy liquid-cooled thing, and like all that stuff. And the front side bus on Macs was just ridiculous compared to the CPU speed, and we just... It was it was so sad. It was like, what's going on here? We, we don't under, it was I forget what it was like 133 megahertz front side bus with like a gigahertz and a half CPU, whatever it was. It was obscene. <laughs> it was like it was just a completely unbalanced machine and we all hated it. And everybody was just delaying their purchases. Because like there's no way in hell I'm buying that piece of crap. You know, whatever comes out, you could tell it was is just not a good machine. And so as soon as the Power Mac G5 came out, we all just bought the top end one. Everybody like everybody I knew had the top of top of the line dual two gigahertz Power Mac G5 cheese grater. We just all bought them because we it's, it's pent up demand amongst our little circle of nerds. So this is pent up demand for desktop retina. And so now I see everybody I know obviously had been saving their pennies, waiting patiently. And as soon as this thing dropped, like, boom, that's it. That's what I want. You know, quad 27 inch displays. I don't care about anything else. I don't care. There's an iMac. Must have it now. So, yeah, you guys are going to all be great test drivers for this, uh, this new machine. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, like looking at it, I don't. I looked over it, like, and it's, uh, I was writing that article about, like, you know, does anybody still need to buy the Mac Pro, basically? And uh, and I was par- partly writing it, talk- talking to myself about this problem. Looking at this, I-, I was trying to think, like, all right, what's the catch? I was trying to find the catch, and I thought it might be heat and fan noise, and it turns out it 
it total the, the total system power usage is almost exactly the same as the old one. Whereas the the CPU, it, if you get the big CPU, which I, I definitely recommend the i7 upgrade, uh, if you get that. It's like two more watts than the old one. It, it, you know, it's not that big of a difference. The GPU, from what I've been told, is slightly more power hungry, but because the display is thirty percent less power hungry, it it balances that out. And so, it the total system heat and power needs are uh, pretty similar to the old one. And the the internal design looks exactly the same. Like the, it's the same cooling, the same structure, it, and that's why like it's actually a pretty mature system like this is the same iMac they've been chipping for years just with a crazy display on the front instead of but like the the rest of the internals like they're not doing anything new and crazy with that so i don't actually foresee major problems except that you know if there's a problem with the panels you know if there's a problem with image retention or yeah that's what it comes down to this this screen or the 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 you know the, the whole the whole dealing with two basically two display port things coming into one and integrating them all if there's any kind of weird lag like maybe you wouldn't care but like for game purposes what is there any lag introduced with the synchronization is do, does it uh you know Talk about think about the dual GPU uh, MacBook Pros and stuff when that first came out with the GPU switching. How that was kind of wonky with software. Will there be a similar issue like this? Like you never know. You- oh, yeah. Well, but it's, it isn't do. See that the the way they've done this panel with the single controller being treated as a single panel. Yeah. No, I, I understand. Like I'm not saying like it's the exact same problem. It's just like when there is a when Apple does something for the first time. Yeah. Like they hadn't done this before. Like they never they never driven a display in this way before. They'd never done GPU switching before. There's a lot of moving parts to it, and even though they control the whole stack, you never know if it's going to be kind of one of those things that's like wonky and it gets worked out in the next generation product, but, you know. No question. Next year, when they update these with, with you know, Desktop Broadwell, whenever it's, if that's coming out next fall, whenever the case, like, Desktop Broadwell will come out, it'll get faster, it'll, it'll run a little bit cooler, it'll run a little bit faster. Broadwell on the desktop is looking like it's going to be something like a 10 or 15% improvement. These are roughly a 10 or 15% speed improvement over the ones from last year. Like this, that's just like, you know, that's what you get with desktops. And so if you really want this right now, I don't think there's a huge reason to wait for next year's because it's no different than any other one year generational gap in, in desktops. Like, Every year, it's going to get a little bit better, a little bit faster. I know, but like this, the second year they do this screen in this way, you figure they'll have more of the kinks worked out. Like if there are any kinks, if there are no kinks, then fine, there are no kinks. But the second year they do this screen, they'll, you know, like even just like you said, the image retention on the MacBook Pros, like that, that was an issue. They think they got their suppliers sorting out. Now it's not as bad as it was. Yeah, exactly. And and honestly, like the, the first generation of Retina MacBook Pro the image retention, which which only affected some of the screens, and I happen to get one, which is annoying, but um, the image retention didn't affect all of them, and that was the only problem. Like the hardware in the first generation Retina Mac Pro was fine. Otherwise, everything else about it, I've had zero problems with. Yep, these these could be fine. We'll see. Like the other thing is that there, I think I feel like there's this is the wrong term, but like there's more margin of error in gigantic machines than there is in these little tiny precious devices like i've always been down on laptops because it's everything's just jammed in there and there's no margin for error whereas in the imac even though it's all stupidly thin on the edge and stuff <laughs> there's room enough to breathe where you're like i don't feel like they're like if they're trying to wedge things and don't have room they're just doing it to themselves it's not you know so that i feel like they have a better i mean so far like the mac pros well actually i have heard stuff with the mac pros here's the things i've heard with the mac pros like dropping network connections uh, what is the other one? This one other thing that I've heard for the Mac Pro is like wonkiness with with the hardware with the first generation uh, 
uh, BoomTube Mac Pros. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot I've been using a first-generation Mac, Mac Pro. It's fine. I've had zero problems. Yeah, no, you're, you're just fine, but I've heard other people have a couple weird things here and there. Where they're, if they're using more demanding Thunderbolt-type scenarios or whatever, you, yours has been fine, too. Like, I mean, I, I bought a first-generation Power Mac G5, and that machine was fine, too. Like, it's uh, it's a crapshoot. I just, you know... The, uh, it, and it's not like I've said never buy one. Just let everyone else buy one. See how it is for a month or two, and then you know, <laughs> patience is rewarded. Oh yeah. Well, although I was I was worried with this that it might get into back order uh, because I, I suspect it's going to be amazing, and because it is the computer that all of us have been waiting for, or many of us have been waiting for, uh, I, I suspect it's going to. If there's if there's any supply constraints, we're going to see that pretty soon. It was like the Mac Pro, like that was so hard to get one of those, and it's not because they were selling a bazillion of them; it's just because it's so weird and exotic. There's just not a lot of, you know. Exactly. So, uh, how's the review? Yeah, uh, I always forget every year. <laughs> like, uh, wow, you think, you think it's going to come, and you're going to be so relieved that it's done, but then I forget it doesn't. That's not how it goes. Like, you publish it, and there's no like. A moment of triumph or relief because as soon as it's published you just you know it's i mean marco must know it's like re- releasing software then you're just inundated with like the bug reports and worrying about you know how the launch is going and server capacity or whatever and like and that just so kind of like fades away like eventually like there's this big rush of crap that you have to deal with and it's just a pain in the butt and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off and you're worrying about this and you're worrying about that and you're fixing things and dealing with ebook stores and going back and forth and, and you know responding to comments and twitter and going through and just and that just that just slowly very gradually tapers and then eventually just peters off and then you're just left like Bleh. so it's not <laughs> it's not as exciting like i feel like it'd be more exciting if you're like a movie director and you work really hard in this movie for a long time and then you go to like the opening night and it's like there's nothing you can do about it then like you're not even responsible for making sure the projector doesn't break it's like well the movie's done people are gonna see it it's completely out of my hands Nothing I can do about it unless I decide to grow a really big neck beard and wait 16 years and ruin the winter. But, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's not like that for it's not like that for software. It's certainly not like that for web services or anything having to, for, you know, public facing uh, websites and stuff like that. It's not really like that for my review either, because it's not like I get it all put to bed, publish it and then just wash my hands of it. Nope, I'm running around like crazy fixing things. And that's never is fun. It doesn't feel good. But anyway, done. So is this the last review? Probably. No, this is the worst possible time to ask you that question, though. I know. That's why, that's why I'm not committing to it. If people keep asking me, I'm not going to give you a firm commitment, but I'm going to tell you realistically that I'm, right now I'm thinking, yes, definitely. is. But I'm not going to make the decision until later, until I can make the decision clear of this, you know, this haze and, I, you know, whatever. Fair enough. Uh, what was different about this review in terms of the creation process? About the same as the the past couple. Like uh, every year, this you know, I'm always worried about what things I'm going to get wrong. What I've been trying to do is steer myself towards the the places where I can add value in the review. Because realistically speaking, like I have to have this thing done, edited, copy edited, ebooks generated, and sent to the ebook store basically before the final version of the OS is done. So if you know, one of the things I can't one of one of the uh, aspect. Uh, you know, one of the values that I cannot bring is I can tell you intimate details about how the final retail installer binary works because I don't even have the final retail installer binary until you're already reading the review, right? 
like my thing goes live the second Apple pushes the button to publish the thing. And in fact, my thing went live before people could actually get Yosemite. So I have no idea how the retail installer from the Mac App Store works. I have no idea what it's good. I just have to go based on what the latest GM candidate I had at the time I made the things were. So there's whole categories of things that have to do with specific details of the final bits that people are going to get that I just simply can't address. Unfortunately, you have to kind of try to address some of them and hope you get it right. And then that's the frustrating part of like, oh, actually, they did change this in, you know, the very latest GM that I didn't have a chance to test with. Oh, this is actually different in the retail version, the version that I never actually saw until you already read my review. And so, you know, someone who reads my review six months from now is going to be like, huh, that doesn't happen to me when I do it. It's like, yeah, you're right, it doesn't. But I had to go with the information I had at the time. And of course, by then, you know, 10.10.3 will be out, which could behave differently anyway. So there's whole categories of things that I just can't, can't address in a reasonable manner. And then even the things I can address, like tiny little details, those are the things that change at the last minute. So you can't spend, you know, three pages and then have it edited and copy edited talking about some minute feature that changes three times in the last three developer builds. Like, what, you just wasted all your time writing. And if you're a full-time writer, maybe you can dedicate those last three or four days to just working like mad. But my per-day time that I can allocate to this is fixed and very small because I have a full-time job. Uh, so yeah, that's, that, that's a frustrating part of doing this. So I try to basically steer the review towards the parts, but I can address is like broad strokes. What does this OS mean for the platform? What are the important features and how do they impact what the Mac is like to use and how the Mac fits in with Apple's other platforms and blah, blah, blah. So that's where I spent almost all my time. And the last few reviews have been moving towards that, but the process of writing it has just been the same as I think the past three or four reviews, especially since the past three or four have also had eBooks. I've kind of been in this silly thing of writing and dealing with the production process and dealing with the ebook stores and dealing with ebook formatting and every year it's some different thing and I think I more or less have it down now. It's just disappointing. Like I have video and I entertain thoughts that perhaps I would have the video inside the ebooks. This is the first year I was gonna have inline video while also doing an ebook. But inline video in ebooks is so insane. You can do it. It can be done in iBooks, but if you look at what the requirements are for inline video like I stopped when I hit requirement number one. Requirement number one dictated aspect ratio. I'm like, no, I have this cute little movie of this window. <laughs> You've seen the little movie of the, the whole, you know, showing the controls animated. That's yep. the aspect ratio I made the window. I Oh, you know, I'll, one story about the production process of this book, and I don't want to go too far into it because it's inside baseball and nobody cares, but this is the one that drove me nuts in this one. So this little movie, this little inline movie showing animated controls with this little silly mock-up I made an interface builder just, you know, with a bunch of checkboxes so I can check them and stuff. And I wanted to make the movie a similar aspect ratio to this window. And so I can't do it in iBooks right away. It wants an aspect ratio that's like, I don't remember if it was 16 by 9 or 4 by 3 or whatever it was. It wasn't my aspect ratio. So I'm like, well, screw you. I'm not making a ridiculous video like that. My thing is skinny. I'll just link it, which which works fine. It just doesn't, it's just not in line. But to, to make that movie, it's on a retina screen, right? And I need to record the movie, uh, but... I have so little knowledge about video production and so little software having anything to do with video production. Like I probably could have done this with FFmpeg, which I have installed, but I have no idea what I'm doing, right? So my only tool at my disposal is like, you know, rocks and, and sticks here is <laughs> to use QuickTime screen capture. And QuickTime screen capture lets you capture a portion of the screen by like dragging out a little rectangle. Mm-hmm. I have to drag out a rectangle that's exactly 1280 pixels wide. By whatever oh, I did. Oh, God. <laughs> on a retina screen. So it has to be 1280 retina pixels, you know, whatever it is, 960 points, right? All right. And when you drag it out like that in quick in the QuickTime player with the exact pixel dimensions, 
you have to go through the motions of you have to go through the motions of me like clicking the things and tabbing from fields to fields and unchecking the checkboxes. You have to do that first. Get like a nice sequence, save the movie, and then look at the movie you saved and see if you got the dimensions right. You know how many times I took that movie? You know how many times I checked those checkboxes? Oh, and by the way, Apple changed the look of the controls and the control animations like three times. I've made that oh, movie so God. many freaking times. <laughs> The system I had for trying to, to trying to get like an exact uh, you know movie. Some people think get Snaps Pro. I have Snaps Pro, but like I don't like to install third party things, especially if they involve Kex on Yosemite systems or on the system that I'm testing, because I don't want to take third party software, which may or may not be you know sort of validated for Yosemite. Because then I can say, oh, it's a buggy and it's kernel panicking. Maybe it was Snaps Pro doing it. I just want to use Apple software. So my technique was to use Xscope. Uh, the Icon Factory is great utility that has a million tools for making like retina hairline guides and stuff like that. And I had like wires all over my screen, exactly framing the part that I wanted to do. It. And then I would use the accessibility zoom when making the rectangle. It's just, it was insanity. Anyway, that was the most ridiculous, crazy part of doing this for, for a thing that nobody cares about. That's not even an important part of the review, but I sunk a lot of time into it. So there, that there's something that's different. I <laughs> had to make an inline movie this time. For whatever it's worth, that was a great movie. It actually really helped a lot. I really enjoyed watching it. That was like the worst performance of like, because I, I had hooked up an external mouse because I'm so bad with a touchpad. The one that's in the review is the touchpad. And I hate how the, it looks like I'm like a handicapped person moving that mouse around. Like I'm not. <laughs> I didn't I, get that impression. Limited mobility. And uh, I, f I feel like it was not an accurate representation of my mousing skills. But like at that point, I was so tired. <laughs> At that point, I was so tired of like, as I just have one mouse and I have to disconnect it from my own computer. I don't have a spare mouse. And I was so tired of doing that. I just did the last 17 runs to get that thing right with the touchpad. And I'm like, you know what? It's the right dimensions. It came out okay. The background was correctly framed. I don't care that the mouse looks a little stuttery. I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on not an accurate representation of my mouse. I, I, think, I think everyone who uses the trackpad is, I think the trackpad, I think we've gone through this before, is an inferior input method in terms of speed and accuracy. Maybe oh, completely agree. But, but like, yeah, if you just look, if, if all you could see was a screen capture of cursor movement, I feel like I can tell if it's someone using a touchpad versus a mouse. I agree. The people who use the magic trackpad, I believe that's what it's called, they... I don't understand how they do it. They're more interested in comfort than, which is fine. It's a reasonable trade-off. Like why, you know, I don't care about accuracy. It's not a race. I'm more interested in the comfort of my hands and, you know, they're more comfortable swiping their fingers across the surface, but I'm very interested in efficiency and I grew up with the mouse. So mouse forever. Yeah, I completely agree with you. All right. Um, do you want to go through, I do have some questions to ask about bits and pieces of the review. Is there any general thought? Are there any general thoughts that you have before I ask you these? I have tons of general thoughts, but I wrote most of them down in a convenient, conveniently consumable form. Uh, so, yeah, you can just, you know, like, I'm sure I'll bring up Yosemite stuff later. Uh, and if we, I mean, I'm sure I will talk more about uh, why I think this will be my last one in some future show. But one of the aspects of it is that, like, I just have so much pent up things to say about this. And it pains me so much in the world wherever this public beta is that everyone gets to talk about it. And, like, you know, this things in that review that I wrote like a week after WWDC and then I just have to sit there with gritted teeth for three months while everyone else has these same discussions and then just, you know, hope that I don't end up saying all exactly the same things and I can't be like, well, I totally wrote that a week after WWDC. It is just, ugh. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I have had a lot of things to say about Yosemite and a lot of them have already been said by other smart people, which is a shame, but what can you do? 
Fair enough. Um, I'd like to start my dissection of your review by asking you if the reference on page 15, the caption on page 15, which I believe is a movie reference, this is the picture of your family. Um, is that a reference to The Godfather? Because if so, I would like to celebrate that victory quietly by myself. You're embarrassing yourself by asking that question, Casey. <laughs> Shouldn't have to ask. You should You should proudly say that hey, did you know that I got the reference under this picture or whatever? And I would say, yeah, that, good case. But the thing is, I've only seen like 10 minutes of that movie. I've just heard <laughs> don't, the quote don't a thousand times. Don't tell me that. Just That's not a lie. Watch Godfather 1 and 2. It's, they're great movies. Actually, I was just listening to uh, Snell and Mike talk about uh, how Godfather 3 doesn't exist. <laughs> they're, they're more or less right. But so I said, you'll, be, you'll have plenty of time late at night as you pace back and forth in front of the television <laughs> holding your child. You can watch the entire movie many times over. Also, uh, page 15 included my favorite line of the review, which is, in Yosemite, as in life, think carefully before starting a family. Oh, yes! Everybody loved that. Is, that is the most popular line of the review, and I, am, I don't like that line at all. I almost didn't put it in because I thought it was terrible. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I actually wrote that down, and I almost skipped right over it, so I'm glad, Marco, that you remembered. I give that line a thumbs down. Everyone else likes it. Though. Uh, oh, <laughs> double, double thumbs up for sure. You're reviewing your own review. <laughs> I, oh, I I think I deleted it like three times. I'm like, you know what, whatever. Like, it's not good. John, I love you. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> in, on page 19, you talked about SMS and messages. And I have a couple thoughts on that. First of, first of all, um, I think that's huge because I spend an inordinate amount of time in front of my computer, particularly during the workday. And although I don't exchange that many traditional SMSs with that many people, being able to fire one off, well, receiving one, and more importantly, being able to fire one off by using the keyboard on my Mac, that strikes me as awesome. But the, one of the things I wanted to ask you, which you may or may not know the answer is, does that piece of um, continuity, does that require BTLE as well? Or is that just Wi-Fi? I don't know the answer to that, actually. I think, no, no. I think it just requires plain old Bluetooth and might work over Wi-Fi, but no, I do not know the answer to that. Like with with these things that require iPhone integration, a lot of these didn't work in a reasonable way until very late, and then they stopped working entirely and then worked again with the 8.1 beta, so I did not have a lot of time to go into these. I just basically had enough time to do them, to see that they work, to see what it was like to do them, to try to use them with like these little fake conversations with my wife in various places, you know. And with my this is, by the way, was an advantage of me having my you know, non-smartphone. I can send SMSs. Not easily because I got to type them in on a number pad, but <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a device ready at hand that could not use iMessage. And so I was sending myself uh, SMSs and stuff you like that. You could have just turned iMessage off on that phone, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, this is like, like I said in the review, this is kind of like a, it should have always been this way. Like there should have always been this symmetry between, you know, if the iPhone can do it, why can't the Mac? Once you have messages on the Mac, it's like, well, but of course you can't get SMS because it's tied to blah, blah, blah. Like, you just need we if you've got the phone and you've got the messages and the phone can communicate like these are all things this is a lot of the stuff in Yosemite it's like it's almost like the iPhone and the Mac were made by two different companies for the amount of integration they have. Like I said in the review, in retrospect, it's shocking how little integration there was between these two platforms for no no good reason. Like the technologies were there. It's not like Apple suddenly invented Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Like this these Things could have been talking to each other, could have been cooperating, could have been on the same page for so long. So now it's almost like SMS. I don't know if it's going away. 
uh, it's hard, you know, if you're in a circle with everyone who uses iPhones and your whole family uses iPhone, you're like, oh yeah, SMS is dead. But in reality, it's everywhere, right? But I see the the rise of these messaging services like Line and whatever those other, you know, like non-SMS messaging services that are very popular throughout the world. And I just have to feel like, and I hate SMS with a passion. I have to feel like that technology, not the idea of sending people text messages, but that tech, that particular technology for doing so, I'll be glad when that's gone. Uh, but if it ends up hanging around for a much longer time, it's good that it's integrated and everything. But like, I, I still worry about, uh, reliability issues, not so much of the software, but of the server component of, you know, messages and SMS and the gateway and all of that. So now it's just, now you got one more thing that can be out of sync or only in one place or inexplicably out of order or whatever, but you know, better late than never. I think also I I really enjoyed what came I think right after this, which was the uh, the like unification of the phone calls thing. Um, I thought you made some very good points there, and and I'm looking forward to this world of like I can you know if somebody calls me and I'm sitting at my computer with my headphones on, I can just swing the mic over and pick it up and start talking to them like that. I didn't quite appreciate really until I read the that part of your review. I didn't quite appreciate like how that will change the world of of being a human being in front of a computer most of the day in this subtle and and quickly forgettable way but that's that's uh, substantial i think yeah i don't know how much i time you'll find out how much time you spend on the phone but i don't spend a lot of time on the phone but i i i totally expected that phone feature to be wonky or weird and there's a potential just like a lot of the icloud stuff for it to be wonky or weird because if it is wonky or weird you, you like so many icloud features you have no place to go to check for it right but it you know i didn't put this in the review because i refused but it more or less just worked like and it's just worked for a long time like the betas and everything like this i never had a problem with it it did what it's supposed to do like you call and the thing appears and you can answer it there and like they had all sorts of little nice features like your ring your ringtones and everything are there and i think someone said i didn't try this but someone said like if you if you do if that ui is up and you do the numeric keypad on your keyboard it makes the little beepy sound like the tone sounds if you're using like a touch tone you know menu system yep, yep, yep. like i can imagine doing it for example like i've always you know you have to be like on hold with amazon for a year and a day or some or you know on, more likely on home with like a cable company or something and like to be able to do that while farting around on your computer without having to keep your phone on speakerphone on your desk with the sound bouncing off of your desk like to just have it all integrated into the computer thing or even if you just want to record a call like sometimes you use google you know google voice or grand central whatever that is you know the company you know where you can uh do calling from your web browser and you know it's just it's just nice to have everything integrated and again this technology was there it's not rocket science it's just audio uh it's a nice the integration is nice and uh as long as it doesn't fall down which i didn't see it fall down it's just like oh yeah we should always have done that why were we not doing that it's just you know it's just it, they could they could have done that with the ipad with the iphone one practically like if they did it over <laughs> wi-fi like it's not you know telephone voice is it's nothing well, I think they're doing it over Bluetooth for, uh, I, pr- I assume, because, you know, the, the whole handoff thing, it has the ability to create an ad hoc Wi-Fi connection for higher bandwidth stuff like file transfers, which is what, I, which is what AirDrop does. But uh, this could plausibly work entirely over Bluetooth's bandwidth. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, you also be, will be shocked at how bad, again, how bad phone sound quality is. When I had, yeah. you know, my, my wife calling your other parts of the house. Like, it sounds terrible because phones sound terrible. Like, <laughs> plain, plain old regular phones, not, you know... Yeah, but it's it's cute. The interface is nice. Like, yeah, good job, Apple. Well, it it, it also it this will make phone calls less dip, less disruptive. 
like when when you're at a computer and you get a phone call, like you got to get the phone out of your pocket. You got to you know take your headphones off if you were see wearing headphones. Is, like see, see like, who yeah. it is. Yeah, like this this makes that so much less disruptive. It's easier easier to screen your calls without having to dig stuff. You know? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have the same thing at work, even with my non-smartphone. When I hear my non-smartphone ringing, I have to pull it out of whatever drawer or, like, pocket or backpack right. it's in to see, is it my wife calling or is it, you know, someone with the wrong number speaking to me in Spanish? And it's, like, 50-50. And I would much rather just look at the upper right corner of my screen and, and tap a little button to ignore when I know it's not, you know. See, but this is evidence that Marco works at out of the house because... If I get a phone call, my first reaction is to grab my phone and run away from the like team area that I'm sitting in so I can be prepared to answer the phone. And half the time when it's the person who doesn't know me speaking Spanish, I don't realize that until I'm already like 10 steps away from my desk area out of earshot of all of my coworkers. Yeah, well, that's like, you know, even if you're going to answer it on your phone, merely just using it as a caller ID type of thing. Is oh, yeah. Reason, oh, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is a feature I had with Blue Phone Elite in uh, 2005. Yeah. And then as soon as the iPhone came out, that stopped working. <laughs> but it was, when I had it for that one year on my dumb phone, it was amazing. Yeah, like the, like I said, it's almost like these platforms made by two different companies for the incredible lack of integration they have, which is supposedly supposed to be like Apple's big advantage. Like, oh, one company makes everything and it can all work together. But there was this crazy separation between the Mac and the iPhone that now is finally finally coming down in a meaningful way yeah and i i think i think your your point was very apt that like you know until until now apple's internal like org chart division was showing up too much in the products and i think this is as you said this is like an important like tearing down of that wall yeah and really like i made this the introduction inclusion very similar as they always are uh but i i really felt this with uh with with using this os and writing this review like it it now feels like uh, it can't include the watchness because who knows what the hell's going on there. But iOS and the Mac, were at least, feel like one sort of unified platform being worked on by one team. Like, and that that every idea they come up with, it'll be like, how does this idea apply to both platforms? Like extensions. They could have just done iOS eight extensions and be like, well, iOS needs some way to extend it because it's been this super lockdown platform. We totally don't need those on the Mac, right? Because the Mac, you can already do all sorts of crazy stuff. I said no. We're going to make an extension thing, and we're going to bring it to the Mac. It's like, why would you, why would you want to bring extensions to the Mac? You can already do all sorts of crazy stuff with the Mac. The Mac doesn't need it. iOS needs it. Don't waste your time on that. It's like, we are making this extension mechanism, we think, is the best extension mechanism we've ever made in terms of safety and, and you know, uh, an API that we can support and blah, blah, blah. And why wouldn't we bring this to every one of our platforms? Why would we say, ah, and the Mac can continue just to have loadable bundles that will, you know, crash system UI server and make everybody sad? Like, no, they bring it to both of them. And they bring it to both of them in a way that, like, you can actually share code between them. And I know it's not exactly the same. And no, you don't have to make the Mac use UI kit. But there's enough sharing between them. Like, it's being it's being addressed as a holistic thing. And uh, I don't know if I went into this too much in, the, in the, the conclusion. I would have liked to hammer on it more. But, like... The, the idea that Apple is viewing its customers as people who use multiple devices in their lives rather than viewing their devices as targets for software that they make, right? Where it, it stopped thinking about the iPhone is a piece of hardware and we want to write awesome software for it to make it a great product. And the iPad is a piece of hardware. We want to write awesome software for it to make it a great product. And the Mac, blah, blah, blah. Like that is, you're looking at hardware and then you're writing software for it and then you see this product and you're like done. Whereas what they should be looking at is people who buy our stuff are individual people, one person. And that one person, if they're a good Apple customer, has an iPhone, 
has a Mac, maybe has an iPad. And that one person does not divide themselves up between those three devices. That It's just one person. They have one set of stuff. They have one set of people that they know. It's all like the cloud stuff comes into and the Google stuff as well. But like, we should be addressing that person's need. And that person's needs have nothing to do with what we think in the abstract we should make. This is the best phone we can make. And this is the best Mac we can make. And that person says, but I'm just one person. I don't care that that phone is awesome over there and the Mac is awesome over there. How can you make them both awesome for me? So... I really like the fact that it seems like Apple's platforms are now being addressed as a sort of, you know, one thing. You know, we want you as the customer to be able to use our stuff and it's all one big thing. And, you know, if we can blur distinctions between these, if you can move from one to the next and your stuff comes with you and we can, you know, make them not look the same, but like have a similar feel. It's another big thing I might, I might not have gone into as much as I really wanted to, like how... Yosemite does not look like iOS 7, but you could, there's a family resemblance. Like, it's not like we have to make it pixel for pixel exactly like iOS 7, but they look similar enough. And so you feel like you're, you feel like you're going from room to room in a big house, but you own the whole house and all your stuff is everywhere. This is why I didn't write that. That's a bad analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention on page 19 was uh, this one line is a great example of what I love about reading your reviews because your reviews are very approachable, even for someone who doesn't have the background that say all of us have. And the best part is they have this tone and character to them. That's very serious. And then there's these little drops, like what Marco brought up a minute ago um, with the quote from the other page about um, think carefully before starting a family. And here on page 19, also, that dog totally looks like Harrison Ford. Like that's so random and so delightful. It's not random. Did I? Send no, that the... was a meme. I've seen that before. Yeah, yeah it was a meme. Like I hope. I ho- oh, I didn't even know that. I, know. I just there's, thought a lot, was... there's a lot of references you don't get, Casey. Just assume. That, uh, I know. Yeah, I think I've said it before on the show. But I, you know, people always ask like, "Are you going to make like a compendium of old ebooks or?" And that's going to be like a huge amount of work. And I have no idea if I'm ever going to do that. But one thing I always fantasize about doing, which I probably also won't do is just going back through all my old reviews and annotating all the references, which I don't know who that would be for other than me. Maybe it has an audience of one, but I guarantee nobody who's not me no, got every single, because they're super obscure. Like they're practically from my own private life. Like, oh, this is a reference to a friend I had in kindergarten. Like, you know, it's from that all the way up to things that everybody should know, right? Uh, but they're everywhere. Like I put them, it's how I entertain myself while I write stuff. So anyway, the Harrison Ford dog, that was a meme and everyone sent it to me and I thought it was awesome. And I thought I sent it to you, but apparently I didn't send it to Casey. Uh, but it's super small in the review. So if you don't know that meme, you might still squint at the dog and go, that tiny squinty dog does kind of look like Harris, but that's exactly what I did. Super looks like Harry. Go Google for the meme. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good to know. Um, on the next page, you made an extremely bold claim, or maybe I shouldn't say claim, statement that was just in the middle of, or actually it was at the very end of the page. Apple's cloud services may finally be on the right track. I'm going to ask you the stupid quest- leading question. Do you really mean that? I do. Didn't you remember when I came out of the CloudKit uh, WWC session? I was like, I think everybody who came out of the session was like, oh, geez, fine. Like, please. If you have any experience either implementing sort of web services yourself or being a customer of other people's web services, you know what's out there. Like if you've used like Azure or the Amazon things or you've written services yourself, you kind of know like what everybody's doing in the web space. And then over here, it was like iCloud Core Data, which was this mutant alien. There was nothing like any of the other services. And and CloudKit was like, 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's more or less what we're, we've all been doing that, and now you're doing that, and they, you're doing a good job at it. It looks at it totally plausible, like it's the way someone implementing it, it you know, the way someone like well-versed in the art who is not at Apple would implement something like that is kind of like that. And it's the way people who write Mac apps have been writing their own little services to, you know, when they had to sort of roll their own, everyone was making stuff like that. And, Apple, and now Apple's making one and it's a really good one and it's well thought out and it has all the advantages that Apple had. And it's like, oh, geez, finally, like no more web objects, no more, no more porting a local only API to suddenly be cloud based. No, you know, it's just no more weird impedance mismatches, no more being doing be, doing things differently based on weird technologies that apple really loves but no one else likes it was just straightforward simple you know good kind of like scene kit was too where it's like it seems like they bring, bring in people from the outside world and and don't force them to do it like the quote-unquote apple way and just say you know use current best practices to do a really good job and then leverage apple's expertise and infrastructure to do that and that's what cloud could look like and like I said in the review, if it's not, Apple is screwed, too, because they're building everything on it. Uh, it's, there's still the server back end to worry about. There's still reliability concerns. There's still, you know, there's still plenty of ways they can screw this up. Uh, but it seems like it's on the right track. Because if you're trying to build something weird and it's buggy, you're like, look, first of all, you're building some weird thing. and No one else is doing it like that. Are you sure this is the right way? And second of all, it's full of bugs. If you're building something more straightforward or more in line with best practices and then it's buggy, you're like, well, you're building the right thing. You just got to get better at it. Like, I feel like you're halfway there, you know? Yeah. No, and I mean, I'm not arguing. I'm just, it was a bold statement. Uh, I'm impressed. I mean, I don't think I said that when iCloud came around. Like, mobile me going, like, that was a good move, like, to can that and to, you know, to... Yeah, it was it was a good idea to clean house and pick a new name, but that wasn't a big turnaround. But CloudKit, that WWC session, really uh, really convinced me that uh, that there are at least some people there who uh, who who know what the right thing to do is and are being allowed to do it, which is definitely an improvement. Um, the next page is page twenty one, and it's the beginning of the Swift section, and. I should point out to begin with that Chris Latner actually linked to this review saying, hey, the Swift section was really good. And I thought that was tremendous. So congratulations for that. Genuinely, I think that's extremely awesome. Everyone should follow him because he's the ideal person to follow in that he is, you know, uh, interesting and famous and smart and does not tweet a lot. So you just follow him, you forget you even follow him, and then one day he'll tweet something and you'll be the first one to know because no one else follows him. So everyone follow Chris Latner. Yeah, um, it, w- it was, I'm trying to find it and I can't, so I'll just move along. But it was a really short tweet, but a really nice tweet. And, and that to me is a pretty big stamp of approval. So you should be proud of that. Um, the Swift section was great. I also liked the end of the first uh, page of the Swift section, which again is page 21, wherein you said, uh, print line, are you not entertained? That would be Gladiator, just FYI. Not, I think that predates Gladiator. I know that's where everyone knows it from. That's basically where I know it from. But are I, you really taking my moment away from me I right don't know, now? Don't you, don't you think like, anyway. God, you are the but, worst. Yeah, but that, but seriously though, like when, when I found out you could do that, which was at WWC, you know, because we didn't know anything when Switch was announced and like, you know, <laughs> pound bang user bin swift and just start typing i'm like what and then you say oh you're not entertained 
Huh? <laughs> Come on. I almost used oh an Intero God. bag. Are, are, are you? Uh, you I, almost I, used I, an Intero bag. Oh, my it's, Lord. It's, it's, it's impressive. <laughs> like that, that uh, you know, if you didn't have a handle on what Swift was, like you come out of the keynote, you're like, I don't know what this crazy Swift thing is, but it's like, it's crazy. I don't know what's up here. And then you find out that it's like, it's what I tried to lay out in the, in the Swift thing. It's so, so much of the Swift discussion on the web has been not ignorant of because everybody knows this, but focusing on whatever they wanted to focus on and not focus on like Swift's obviously very publicly right in front of your face stated goal. And the goal sounds crazy and stupid. And maybe it is like I went into that. Maybe that's the problem. Like their goal is crazy and stupid, but their goal is to make this language that goes right from these little, you just start typing, you put a little line at the top of your thing, you just start typing the file and you just run it to go from that all the way up to, oh, you can write a whole OS in this. And that sounds ridiculous. And maybe, you know, maybe it is ridiculous and maybe that is the root problem with the language. But people will be like, I don't understand why Swift is doing this thing. It's like, it's in the goal. Like, if someone gave you this project and said, I want you to make a language that, that can go scale from scripts all the way up to writing an operating system, that would inform everything you did about language design. And when people complain about features, they're like, oh, I don't like this. You could have done this. It's like, yes, but then the language wouldn't have been able to span this ridiculous range. And so I feel like what people should be disagreeing with is the mission of the language. That's where people should be focusing their anger and say, it's stupid to make a language that spans this range. What you should be doing is just making a really good Objective-C replacement. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm, I I like the idea, the idea of the ambition of this. It's easy for me to say because I'm not, you know, an iOS developer or a Mac developer who's going to be forced to deal with this transition, which is going to be bumpy. Uh, but I, as, as an outside observer, I, I like the guts of someone trying to do that, saying that's what they're going to do not keeping it a secret, but saying, this is what we want to make. And we think it's possible. And this is how we think we can do it. And that just, just incredible clarifying lens for everything having to do with Swift, the things you like, the things you don't like, the directions you might think it, it will go in the future. You have to look at that mission and it could be, they changed that mission. They said that mission was dumb. It unnecessarily hamstrung us. We're dropping one under the other of it and we're changing language. But, uh, you know, if you were to look back at what objective C looked like in 1989 or whenever, when it first came out and compare it to objective C today, I'm going to say like, it's time to at least give Swift a chance. It is so incredibly new. It is going to look so amazingly different and hopefully much better if it's given uh, a couple of years to cook, especially at the rate Apple has been improving its dev tools over the past, you know, say five, 10 years. Objective-C did not get that much better until Apple sort of took it and ran with it in the last decade or so. Yeah. Uh, it, one of the things that was interesting to me about the review, uh, specifically about Swift, was that there was a lot of very subtle, um, I don't know, like get on board guys kind of tone to it. And I agree. I mean, I haven't really played with Swift much uh, because I've barely had time for anything lately, but everything I've seen is really impressive. And your review just made it even more impressive being able to see exactly how a lot of this stuff is is held together. And so I agree with you. I mean, uh, for all the curmudgeons out there, I, I don't think that's really necessary. I really think this is going somewhere good. That's what I was most interested in. Like I was coming at it from my perspective. I'm, I'm using high level languages all day. I'm using Perl, JavaScript, stuff like that. That is so far from like so so far from dealing directly with memory or so far from being efficient. Just so basically, I'm dealing with incredibly slow languages from the perspective of someone dealing with C, Objective C, or C plus plus, right? Uh, but it's great because you don't have to worry about all these you know concerns that people dealing with lower level languages have to deal with. It's just so much more efficient and productive. And just and Swift, the promise of Swift was like. We're going to be, you know, it's a, 
it's a low level language with a high level syntax. We're going to we're going to span this huge range, and when you use it, it's going to feel like so nice. You don't have to worry about all these little details. We'll take care of it for you, or whatever. But when you run it, it's going to be fast like those other languages that you had to spend all day writing type names a million times and and using funny syntax and worrying about memory and and uh, and pointers and all sorts of other stuff. Like that's the promise of the language. And what I was interested in is from the perspective as a high level language programmer, how can you possibly make that fast? Because all these other high level languages you use is uh, even when huge amounts of money and time and effort and brain power has been put towards them, it's really hard to make them fast. And JavaScript is the best example that it has had just like millions and millions, probably billions of dollars. And some of the, the smartest programmers in the entire world focusing on trying to make this terrible language that someone made a long time ago fast because everywhere because you have to. It's in the web browser. Right. And then lesser languages like Perl or Ruby or Python have far fewer brains and far less money also trying to make them fast because they're running on the servers, you know, and then you've got Java, which is a whole other thing. But like the nice high level languages that people really love uh, trying to trying to make that language fast. And it's easy to make a low level language fast. It's straightforward. Like C, you can say like, I can totally, you know, I can see if you look at C, you can see the assembly. It's like portable assembly. I can, see exactly, <laughs> I can see exactly what that goes into, like all the dots connect or whatever. But if you're going to have a high level language like Java, it's so much harder to be efficient because you have to like to make things fast. You have to tie things down. But if you tie things down, it's a pain in the butt to use. And so I wanted to know is, uh, you know, in a language like Swift, where even the what we think of as the basic types, like integers and strings, are defined in a library, how can you possibly get that to be fast? How can you how can you sort of bolt that infrastructure all the way down into the compiler? And it's not easy. Like if, if Swift had been invented in a vacuum, right? So it just this is the syntax. It looks like this, but all I'm doing is typing. And then you just handed that language spec off to somebody and said, "Now make this really fast." There are so many different approaches you can take. Uh, if you are not, you know, Chris Ladner and his team or someone who has written LLVM and Clang and everything, you could take the approach that, for example, Perl or, or Python or Ruby have taken and they have changed their approaches over the years. There are lots of different or JavaScript for that matter. There are lots of different ways to make engines for high level languages. The way they made this engine for for a high level language, you know, because for example, in in Perl or, or JavaScript or Ruby and stuff. Well, no, I don't know enough about Ruby to say this, but in uh, Perl or JavaScript, like the basic types that you use are not defined in a library whose source code you can see like they're part of the language and even in c like integer is part of the language or you know short or, or, or float like that's part of the language it's not that's not a library that you can plug in and in swift they made it all everything a library and then just found this clever way to bolt that library to what they knew would be the implementation of the language uh so that i found fascinating and what i tried to pick was the easiest possible example and it still expanded into like you know thousands of words of annotated source dumps or whatever but that's that's more or less as simple as i can get it but I, I think the implementation is fascinating i think the language like i'm i'm a high level language type of guy and i hate all of these static typing stuff that everyone complains about about swift like i hate that stuff too i don't want i don't want to deal with types at all i want everything to be dynamic i don't want anything to be tied down uh so in that respect Swift is totally against my personal taste in this. I don't think static typing is necessary to make good code. I link to a lot of things that people, you know, there's a lot of things on the web on both sides of this argument. I link to some of the better known pieces in the Swift section about how dealing with type system is BS and it just it gets in your way and I don't want to deal with that crap at all. And the errors that you think it's saving, it's all just voodoo. And really, if you just had a dynamic language, everybody would be better and happier and more productive. And that's what really matters and blah, blah, blah. We can all have that debate, but Bottom line is Swift is not that kind of language. Swift is trying to be the button-down, tied-down, static-everything language that I really hate, but trying to make it palatable. 
and it's super interesting in that respect. So I don't, if, if you came away from that thinking, I, th I think Swift is awesome. Swift is not the language that I would design. Like it doesn't look like it doesn't it doesn't uh, match my tastes at all. But it does match its creator's tastes, and it does match the uh, it it is a good fit for the mission that the creator set out for the language. Uh, what it doesn't match up with so much is if you if you really really like Objective C and you love dynamic dispatch and you loved uh, you know calling uh, you know selectors making selectors out of strings and then calling them and doing all that good stuff which again I'm with you I'm using even higher level languages I'm doing all sorts of crazy stuff I'm doing string of owls you don't even know what's going on in JavaScript and Perl these days right <laughs> I'm, I'm totally with you right. But that's not the language Swift is, and that is the source of tension, and that's, I don't know how they're going to deal with that. And plus, Swift has to deal with all the Objective-C integration, which is such a pain in the butt that's putting warts all over, like, why is this wart in Swift? Why the hell is this here? Why does this work this way? What's this special case rule? It's all because it's got to work with existing Objective-C libraries in a semi-idiomatic way, and it's all, you know, that it's not afraid to have warts, and it's got plenty of them. Uh, but I just hope five years from now this experiment goes uh, goes well, and that all the people who are cranky about it I guess we'll join the people who are cranky about dot syntax. Or I guess it's probably the same people. Like, well, you know, <laughs> people who are, it's just like, you know, time marches on and some new kid coming up five years from now, hopefully will start learning his iOS development in Swift and think it's perfectly fine and natural. And if he ever sees Objective-C, it'll be like, oh God, what were you guys doing? You know, I think, I, I hope it will be okay. I think it'll be okay. Uh, smart people behind it. So I'm optimistic. Yeah, it's funny how many people I've talked to developer friends of mine, usually in the Microsoft world, but nevertheless, developers I've spoken to over the last few years who have said, oh, yeah, you know, I'd really like to mess around with writing an iPhone app, but oh, God, that Objective-C syntax, I can't even look at it. It's so bad. Yeah, those people are never going to write an app anyway. Like that is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. the square brackets is the least of the, but I'm, I'm just saying like, if you come from another mobile platform and you're like, what? I have to dereference pointers? Why are all these stars on your declarations? And like, <laughs> Have you seen C? It's like, what are you guys doing? I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. I don't, you know. So like that, in that respect, and I've gotten people complaining to me that Swift is not a higher lang level language than Objective-C, which I think is crazy. Like, that's why I put that whole section in there, which is a reference that Casey doesn't get the title of, um, to show, <laughs> look, it looks like a high level language, right, guys? Like, if you use Python, if you use Perl or Ruby or JavaScript, like this, on, if you know, if you just have a passing familiarity, look, high level language. Look, no pointers, ma, look. Native, native, quote unquote, native strings. I can just do basic things. I have collection classes. It's just there. It's just all that stuff that we've been adding to Objective C with like literals, and everyone's happy. It's like no regular language just have that. It is a convincing high level language at a glance before you know what what's going on with it and everything. And yet some people are saying Swift's not really a high level language because it has static dispatch, and I need to make my selector names out of strings and call them. And if I can't do that, it sucks. <laughs> Inherit from NS object. Use the Objective C runtime. Uh, you can still kind of do it, but anyway, that's that 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 chasm will be solved by uh, old people retiring. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, I love you, John. All right, so on page twenty-two, a couple of quick notes. First, um, there is a link. The first of actually what ended up being many links to MSDN, which made my C sharp developing heart smile. And additionally, I wanted to ask you. How was all of the work figuring out this glue between Swift and the x86 opcode? Was that all your work by yourself? Did you have help with that? How did that come to be? 
I have help with all these things. Like I'm, I, I lean on these smart people that I have contact with to ask questions and to help me run experiments or whatever. But the, I mean, the good thing is that like you only need like a little shove in the right direction by smart people. Like they don't need to hold your hand through everything yeah, yeah. because I have all the tools at my disposal. Like all these, this is one good, you know, the developer tools, even though Swift has changed a million times, it's, I mean, maybe it's just because as an environment I feel natural in, like I'm programming all day. That's my job, right? All you got to do is point me in the right direction. I have the command line tools. I can write code. I can, you know, I can figure out flags to commands. I can, you know, write a little test programs. You know, I, 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 I can figure it out. I just need to be like, say, you know, you should look over here and think about this. And that's why I picked a super simple example because I'm not particularly familiar with x86-64 assembly. So I like, I can't just look at this and know what it is. I had to look up all that, you know, the stupid things. And that's why it's like, what's the simplest thing? Adding two numbers together. I can handle that. Like, I don't want to get fancy. It's going to be hard enough for me to figure out the adding two numbers together. But I just had questions. I just didn't know how it worked. And I wanted to, well, I wanted to figure it out. And so, yeah, I had a lot of help with this, uh, but mostly in terms of like, here's what you want to look at. Uh, here's what you want to do. You know, some, you know, this, this example will be instructive for this thing because I would have questions about, well, what about this and that or whatever? And it would be like, actually, if you're interested in that concept, this example is different. And so even some of my examples I was led to was like, the example you're, you're trying to do will never explain that concept to you. Uh, use this example instead. So, uh, I mean, it's true with all these things. So like arc was the other one was in a similar vein of like, you know, Arc was explained fairly well, but there's like a lot of questions about like how does how exactly does it work inside and how does it relate to it? and like and you know even just like the why is like getting getting to talk to people who are involved in the process and they're like why Arc and not object uh, why why Arc and not garbage collection like why specifically let's get into the like the Swift section was the most similar I think to the Arc section. It's no coincidence that it's you know both developer technologies both you know in sort of the same vein and the same kind of team doing stuff so. No, I thought this, the section was extremely interesting and I haven't worried about assembly in a long time and, and getting pretty much all the way down to that level was a fun adventure into things I've long forgotten. So I really enjoyed it. And like, and people who like actually know this stuff and, and use like, like Mike Ash or something like they could, there's nothing groundbreaking this and anyone who cared could have figured all this out and probably did. Right. You know, all the people are actually writing Swift. Like if you go to what is uh, uh, Mike Ash's thing, Friday Q&A or whatever, like yep. there is some amazing like those guys actually know it. Like, they don't need any help from Apple. to figure. Apple should hire them if they're not like Apple's probably tried to hire them many times. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like I that's that's a whole other category of thing. I'm just like pecking on the outside here, getting help from those type of people. So this is, there is no groundbreaking stuff here. It's just, you know, this is what I as and which is why I think I try to explain it to people even farther outside. Like if I can if I can have it explained to me and figure it out, I feel like I might be able to explain it to someone else. So that's why, like, even though that section seems like it's impenetrable. I feel like anybody, even if you know almost nothing about computers, can be led through it and you get the gist of it. You're not going to know all the little details. I don't know all the little details. Like a lot of it is just output from the, you know, uh, the, the compiler that I can sort of figure out more or less what it's doing. Again, because the thing is so simple and I can, you know, say this is that inline. Why is this that inline? Because I can look. It's the same stuff, but it's put over there and I can I can figure out the, you know, I know enough about assembly. I can figure out, well... Some things are different because the arguments are in different places, but I can, you know, if you know the concepts, it's like, how do you return from a function? Like, they're basic concepts that everybody would learn in like a CS class. Armed with even just that, 
you can more or less make heads or tails of this type of thing. So I, I, I'm sort of an ambassador to people who know slightly less than I do. And I know way less than the people who actually know what the heck they're doing. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, the next thing I wanted to comment on uh, was the, what's SIL stand for? Swift Intermediate Language? Is that right? Intermediate or intermediary? Yeah, one of those two words. All right. Well, either way, um, you may, you had written at some point, and I believe it was on page 23, although I don't know if that's correct. It's possible that the larger purpose of SIL has not yet been revealed. Do you have any particular thoughts about what that might mean? Like, do you have any thoughts as to what SIL would be used for? No, if I had it, I would have put it in there. I just, I just get it like, so in those diagrams, like this is not a minor thing, right? Adding an entirely new intermediate representation and language that essentially like that no one writes things in, right? That is a significant step. And is that, it's just like, well, we needed to do that because LLVMIR doesn't have, doesn't retain enough information about the source language for us to perform certain optimizations. Yes, that's totally true. That's, that's like why it's there, right? And, that, and it is interesting, but that's a long way to go. So I have, maybe, maybe that's all there is to it. Like, I don't have any inside information. I'm not hinting anything. If I had a theory, I'd be telling it to you now. All it is, is like, it just seems like another big box in the diagram and another language to support for these people building these tools. They must have thought it was important enough to, you know, because they could have like left that left that phase out and just tried to bridge the gap between, uh, you know, LVMIR and the source code it, with a, you know, with a smarter compiler. I mean, it's like what Clang does for C and C plus plus. They didn't make a new intermediary language for those things. Like we can we can more or less draw a line from those languages, even though they're fairly complicated, especially C plus plus. We don't need a whole other third representation in the middle there. But for for Swift, they did, and you know, I, I assume they have reason. You know. It, it's again, it's so young. This, this may be a future proofing thing. Like so much of Swift, when I look at it, I say like, this has nothing to do with where Swift is today, but they're like three years from now, like there's an end game in mind. Like this is the, these are the type of optimizations I would like to be able to do three years from now. They're barely a glimmer in my eye. Now there's no way in hell we can do those optimizations now, but I'm going to do everything in my power not to preclude them later. So maybe still has something to do with like, leaving those doors open and saying, if I'm going to do that optimization, what I'm going to need is a thing like this. And so make a thing like this now for these reasons. And later on, we hope it will be useful for these reasons. There's a lot of, that's kind of like a programming anti-pattern, like uh, Yagni ain't going to need it. Uh, they need it now. They need still now to do the optimizations that I talked about for the generics and, and the, but they don't need, but it's useful for that purpose. Uh, you know, as I said in the review, the, the optimization I showed in similar ones, you know, would be, it could it'd be awkward or impossible. Like, would it be impossible, impossible? No, you can always do it. I mean, you can always like write whatever you want for the, when you're writing the compiler for this thing, but it's certainly a lot easier with SIL, which which is much closer to the source than LVMIR, which is much closer to assembly. So no, nothing specific there. All right. I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping you were being coy, but that's all right. Um, all right, so I only have two more quick points or questions, I guess more points that I wanted to make. Um, on that same page, which is 23, um, on, in the shape of the future section, you made passing reference to Pearl having too many funny characters, which made me extremely happy because I forget that you actually do acknowledge that Pearl is not the best thing that's ever been conceived. Uh, I, all I was acknowledging was that other people think it has too many funny oh, characters. Oh, God, never mind. <laughs> I think, I think never that mind. is a ridiculous thing to say because funny... 
It's like saying English has funny characters. What's all this punctuation? It's pointless and it's noisy. It would be so much nicer if it was just all a series of lowercase letters, which is how a lot of people write online because it's like this weird affectation. But no, punctuation and capital letters serve a purpose. What's the point of all these types? They're just noisy. Well, they're, that's bad Huffman coding because it is frequently typed and really <laughs> oh, super long. If, if you're going, if you're going to distinguish between, if you're going to distinguish between, you know, arrays, dictionaries, and scalars, having a single character to denote each of them is much better than doing some crazy Hungarian notation, which is also much better than having no distinction and just having to remember. So I am not, I do not agree that Perl <laughs> has a bunch of line noise. I think all the punctuation in Perl, with the exception of the global variables, which are just silly nonsense left over from shell awk uh, hangover from years ago. But dollar sign at percent sign, Swift should have them, and it doesn't. But I didn't design Swift, so there you go. All right. Uh, and then my final point, uh, which I wanted to make, was from the very last page, page 25. And it might have even been the very last line. Uh, let me see. No, it's not. Uh, but you had said... And I'm quoting, Apple has shown that it wants to succeed more than it fears being seen as a follower. And I thought that was extraordinarily astute and a really, really, really good summary of Apple today. And I just wanted to congratulate you on that. Well, that's like, you know, the, the other part that's in a similar vein, I think, on that same page was like uh, the list of things Apple will never do is slowly turning into the list of things that Apple has done. Right. All, all like with with the absence of Steve Jobs and Tim Cook coming on and like all, you know, and, and Scott Forrestal leaving or whatever, like the, the rule set has changed mostly for the better. Uh, and iCloud Drive was what I was thinking of with the You know, with the the, the what do you call it with the Apple being more afraid of of not having a good product than they were of like, saying, well, aren't you just copying Dropbox? Like what's worse being someone saying you're copying Dropbox or not having a feature like Dropbox that people have proven that they love. So iCloud drive is like, you know, is it an admission of defeat? Yeah. That's, that's what stops them from doing it. Like we can't do that. We've had all this time. We've saying, we're not going to show people the file system. It's like, well, we can do folders, but we'll do them like an iOS where you got to drag things on top of each <laughs> other, you know, like it was in, in a mountain lion and stuff it's like just, what are you are you afraid of people saying you're copying Dropbox or are you afraid of having a crappy product? Well, for the past couple of years you've had a crappier product than you needed to because of this, you know, Dropbox is a feature, not a product. It's like and, and I don't even know if it was the right move. Like maybe the right move would be to stick to your guns and actually do come up with something better. But if you can't do that, going with the thing that you know people like is better than sticking with something super crappy. So it's a spectrum. I don't think this is the the biggest move, but it shows that Apple's willing shows that Apple's willing to do it. And, you know, again, I don't even know if I'm going to use iCloud Drive. I've been, I, I, like everybody else who's a nerdy person probably listening to this show, we've all been using Dropbox, right? I have some complaints about Dropbox, but it still has some advantages over iCloud Drive. I'm I'm wigged out by not knowing whether everything's all synced to iCloud Drive. I'm used to looking at my little menu bar icon and seeing a little green check mark to know that everything is synced, not just an individual file. Uh, so I don't know, but... Uh, but yeah, I'm glad uh, this is this is the new Apple doing things that they normally don't do, uh, talking to uh, talking to the press more, being more open with developers, having a Swift blog that actually has more than one post on it. You know, it's, it's a brave new world. It is indeed. Any closing thoughts? Oh, I don't know. You just you just read the conclusion of my review out loud, and then we'll close the podcast. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think do we're it. done. I think we're done. Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week. I forgot who they even were. Hold on. <laughs> it's been so long. I mesmerized you. With that. Mandrill, Squarespace, and Igloo. And I'll see we. And we'll see you next week. Now the show is over. 
They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental. I'm tired. You know what? You, do you want to give any more references that you got in the review, or is that it? That's all you said. No, that, that in terms of movies, that, that was it. It's pretty bad. I just <laughs> thanks. I <laughs> was a trap for you. I'm sorry, Casey, but I feel like all right. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, that's cool. I I know I'll never be good enough for you, John. It's cool. No, like so, I go to a lot of therapy for this. <laughs> it, again, like how low do we have to make the bar? How? Oh what God! Is, what is? You are is, such is, a is there jerk. is there any? Is there any pop culture reference that you uh, would would feel like that if, if another person didn't know it, you would be surprised? Another person who lives in the same country as you, uh, and, you know, similar age, uh, similar sort of like income, like similar life experience, and you would just be shocked if they did not get this reference. Like, is there, what yeah. is, is there anything? So yeah, like, something from uh, Super Troopers, Spaceballs. No, I'm saying like, go, go deeper than that. Go to like Mickey Mouse. How about that? Someone who's never heard of Mickey Mouse has no idea who Mickey Mouse is, what Mickey Mouse looks like. Is, is, you know, is it a mouse that like crawls around the ground? Does it have fur? Nothing. Would you be like, oh my God, how can you not know Mickey Mouse? Like, is that what we have to go to? Uh, do you really want an answer to this question? <laughs> no, I'm saying, just, you're like super just... troopers like that is pretty, I'm, I'm saying like, you know, cause for me, what I, in my generation, which granted you guys are maybe a little bit younger, Star Wars is the one like Star, like, have you heard of Star Wars? Maybe you haven't seen it. I don't even care if you've seen it, but you know Star Wars is a thing. Maybe you've heard of lightsabers. Maybe you know what Darth Vader looks like. That's all I'm asking, right? And so, and then as you go close, like, that's my sort of baseline. And as you go up, like, if I'm going to make a Star Wars reference, like a well-known, like, if I say, may the force be with you, and like, what the hell are you talking about? What do you mean by force? Then I'm going to, you know, and if you're the same age as me and have similar life experience to me, I'm going to be surprised. And so you always shock me with the things that you don't know. And in this review, I had references to things on the caliber of and sometimes identical to Star Wars that apparently you didn't see. Such as? I, I mean, I'll tell you if I didn't get it. No, you didn't get it. Well, I mean, maybe I did. And I just didn't think it was remarkable. <laughs> they're not remarkable. Like, maybe sometimes they're just so obvious. So like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Star Wars Force, whatever. Like, it's right, like, not remarkable. Because it, doesn't, doesn't, it, doesn't show, it doesn't come off across as clever. But anyway. Sorry to wow. disappoint you, Daddy. It's all right. I just have to adjust my expectations. It doesn't make you a bad person. What do you mean you have to adjust? It? I thought my I had <laughs> firmly placed your expectations of me so far down the crapper that they can't even be found anymore. But sometimes you surprise me and like, and then I move you up a few notches and then you just don't get an obvious Star Wars reference. And then I'm just like, well, I don't know what I'm dealing with here. Wow. How come I'm the one who's getting dragged through the mud? You know, Marco's still here. I, I don't know. I think Marco has seen Star Wars. I have seen Star Wars. It's been a little while. I have too. But I've seen it a number of times, like most human beings. Yep. I've seen all six of them several well, times. When Adam is old enough to start watching Star Wars, maybe Marco will see it a few more times. Yeah. Although I, I will say I've only seen the episodes two and three. I, I think I've only seen those once each. Don't worry. Don't worry about those. You're not going to. 
We will not be quizzing that. It's yeah. not on the test. <laughs> I figured. Have you even seen them more than once? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm curious. You mentioned earlier uh, that you, you refused to write the phrase, it just works in the review. Yep. Uh, what is your full list of like banned phrases that you won't use? I don't know, but like you know what I mean. It's like you just don't you don't want to write cliches. Like, and, and if you're if you're writing about Apple and you're going to make an it just works comment, whether snarkily or sincerely, just if you can say it in some other way and try to do it, you know, like we've read that too many times. It's all you know. We write about the same. If you write about the same company's products for a long enough time, you will find yourself inevitably saying the exact same things that not only other people have said, but that you have said in the past. It is a constant struggle for me not to write the exact same sentence I wrote three years ago, and it happens all the time. I will write something, <laughs> and I will go back. I'll, I'll go back, like you know, to the ten point six review, and I'll see like the exact paragraph because I'm the same person more or less. And if you give me the same inputs, I tend to produce the same outputs, and I will almost word for word write a sentence I wrote three years ago. And I'm like, oh, you know. And if it's not me, then something someone else wrote. And so it's a constant struggle to try to say the same things in a fresh and interesting way that lends new insight and doesn't just, you know, it's the you're, you're snapped to grid with Marco type thing. Yep. It doesn't just snap to grid and, and like people mentally scan, it just works and it snaps to a grid point and they don't even read the words and it's like they're not paying attention anymore. So I'm always trying to find some better way to say things. Maybe failing, maybe it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's not a stunt. It's not like, you know, it's not like I have a silly list and it's just like when I'm writing, I feel like, is that what you want to go with? Really? You want to go with it? Just works. <laughs> It's just, you know, after whatever, 15 years of doing this, I feel like I I don't I don't want to have that crutch. That's fair. All right. I'll give you that. Titles. I'm a big fan of raw out of coconuts. Yeah, it's barely part of it. You just yeah. like the capital O and of. Because I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, surrogate information phone is also very good. That I also like a lot. Those were also tangential. I don't know. Well, all the good yeah. titles are tangential, but that doesn't mean they're not good. Well, sometimes they're on like whatever the. Spent a lot of time talking about the Apple event and Yosemite were the two big topics, and those were about like neither. Well, if we if we add up all the variations, the masking skills one is is a clear winner. I don't like coconuts, but I'm happy with the other two. Actually, that's true. I do, I really don't like coconut. Neither do I, but I like the title. You don't Man. like coconut? Come Coconut's on. terrible. Yep. No, no way. And the worst, the worst is when you have unexpected coconut in things. Is it a texture thing? Like it tastes like tastes like tastes like paper to you? It just doesn't taste good. Oh, you got a toasted coconut on the outside of a donut. Ooh, coconut shrimp is good. You don't, you don't like mounds? That's, uh, no cheap. Can't. Well, it's not a great candy, but no, I like coconut. No, unexpected coconut when you when you bite into a candy or when it's on some kind of cake, it's that's the worst. Or it's, if it's in cookies, that's the worst. I think it's a texture thing. Like, do you like coconut drinks if the texture was removed? No. I don't know. You're crazy. I mean, the texture is terrible, but so is the taste. They're both terrible. Yep. The texture definitely takes some getting used to, but most people, again, most people born here get used the same way we get used to peanut butter, which grosses out the rest of the world. If most people who are around here get used to coconut, which has a weird texture, I totally admit, but I like the flavor. Have it with your Sprite. <laughs> coconut Sprite. That's a drink. <laughs> 